the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. tired he's been at home <laughs> he's got sick been kids home. got sick it's been a, it's been a couple of weeks been home for a while ladies and gentlemen supposed to be back yesterday he got the super bowl flu tough, yeah. tough go with it for super bowl for flu <laughs> let me tell you something you know in the movie the shining jack nicholson like cabin fever <laughs> cabin fever is a real thing now i didn't want to kill anybody i just wanted to you know puke my brains out that was cabin fever for me i've been there two Whoa. weeks ago i had the same thing it's all good man let me tell you something when i stepped out of my garage this morning i did one of those dad stands on your front lawn and just goes oh i thought like you did the air. breakfast club where you walk out and you just no. like put your hands in the air no like, I'll yeah, do that. Yeah. we did it no we made it through baby yeah <laughs> I did that on Saturday after post game when I remembered how to do post game. Like, yeah, team owner, are you going to be able to work over there? <laughs> nah, I don't know. I, there's a lot. I feel like there's more buttons back it's here like now. Three weeks since you've been back there, man. Yeah, if we have an air back here, how have you guys been? I was expecting BK to have a couple of black eyes from having nobody to yell. No, everything went great. Yeah. T-Bone, you handled this okay? Yeah, you know, there were a couple times like a week ago when he was talking about leadership in the Cardinals locker oh, room and how they're going to be a 91 team because of it. You got to be bleeping oh, kidding me. God. Why does it you always bring up that crap when I'm not here? You know what's funny? Yesterday I talked about Jake Neighbors and how great he is. Um, we, we talked about the vibes around the team. Talked about leadership for the Cardinals. I got excited about the Chiefs. You couldn't have seen that one wow. coming. I was, that was That's really why I was out yesterday. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> Good call. That and losing $6,300 off of a half a freaking point. Yeah, buddy. Can we talk about that real Dude, quick? That, my dad is still upset about that. He should be. He's still pissed off. So Alex placed some bets on a parlay. Good as, friends over at Circus Sports Illinois. Yeah, as you know, we always do. Big parlays mean big money. It was, what, a 10-leg parlay? 10-leg parlay. Mm. And nine of them hit. Yep. The one that didn't was the total for the game. Over under 47 and, and a half. If the Chiefs had just kicked the extra point at the end of overtime instead of, you know, walking it off. It's the rule. That's how it goes. But for, if you're in Alex's position, you, you know how this the works. Damn if, right? rules. <laughs> if the Chiefs had just simply kicked the extra point on the final possession, Alex wins. $6,300. Mm. Alex paying for his kids to go to college. Put that away. Put it, on, put it into the market. They're paying their own damn way to college. <laughs> Instead. Instead, I just, he lost, you know what I got? He lost money. I got he lost. actually paid for the ticket. I lost my dinner later that night. 
And I was stuck at home the next day. That's, That's what you did to me, That's Chiefs. That's probably why you really out sick yesterday. I wish. I wish that was the only reason why. But I'm happy to be back. It's See your beautiful you, faces. We missed you. I have a lot of energy ready to go. Do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How much do you think you slept in total last week? You were home alone doing the single dad uh, thing. Like 10 hours. Maybe 10 hours. <laughs> let's, let's, let me, let's talk about the real factor into why I'm... I haven't had adult communication for at least eight days. There has been me, a two-year-old, and an 18-month-old. I've had a lot of cocoa melon. Uh, that, I was about to say, have you had a lot of cocoa I melon? I can recite to you the damn wheels on the cocoa bus. Lemon. Yeah, no, cocoa melon, not lemon. I've heard a lot of Disney songs this week. I haven't had adult communication for almost a week and a half. Well, T-Bone's here to be your toddler, and I'll be here to have the well, I don't know. Some of your takes might be my toddler, but we'll see how the day, the day goes. It's similar in terms of the tone problem. We're both working on it. You're six-month-old, one-year-old, I guess, at this point. Me, we're both you know, yeah. roughly the same level of yeah. Let me ask you this. Does, does Lucas tell you no to everything these days? Not yet, dude. We're not there. No, we are. Um, we are. Both of them, actually. He has decided he doesn't like baths anymore. Tough. He loved baths. First six months of his life, nothing better. Get in the bath, feeling oh, good, yeah. right? Playing with the water. Yeah. The other day, we get in the bath, he's like, ah, what I mean? That's funny. Like, oh, no. That's funny. When That's what my happen? youngest does every time I put food in front of her. <laughs> cool. Daddy needs to feed you food. <laughs> I'm sweating already. <laughs> Timo's over here like, guys, you make it sound really cool to be fair. It's great. It's fun. It's, it's wonderful. You'll ever do. In fact, I decided let's have another. Yeah, I was up at uh, at 4.30 last night. My wife was up from 6 to 7.30 putting Luca back down. And finally, we got some sleep this morning. I haven't even brought up the text line yet. Is it, Matt, talk some smart. Not yet, dude. You, you should have seen it yesterday. People were very mad at me as it was the most watched show in the history of television. <laughs> Um, yeah, I heard you didn't talk enough blues yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> had three segments of blues the day after the Super Bowl, and it was not enough. So the Niners would have won. I bet you would have had three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line. By the way, you can check us out on YouTube. You can see how exhausted Alex looks. I think you look beautiful though. One hundred one ESPN STL is where you go to find us on YouTube. You can get in the chat over there. That's where the graveyard is, Alex. We've officially Got a named new nickname? them the, the graveyard. They named themselves that because it was so dead once upon a time. <laughs> And now we've just, you know how sometimes a, a negative connotation can become a positive meaning? Okay. That's what this is now for our uh, YouTube chat. That's the graveyard. I'm going to make t-shirts. I, I find graveyards peaceful. So that's good. That actually makes a lot of sense. Final resting place. You know, it's a peaceful area. Everybody <laughs> has, sleep. has felt their destiny. And yes, everybody gets to sleep. So boys, you picking up some good vibes from the Cardinals and the no. spring <laughs> Actually not. <laughs> that's what we're opening with? The Blues have won like five in a row on the road, and we're opening with the good vibes of the Cardinals. So I, I don't totally understand what's happening right now, but there's been a bunch of pictures that have been tweeted out this morning from Jeff Jones, from Derek Gould on the new jerseys that the Cardinals are wearing. Alex, have you seen these? It, it's <laughs> yeah. bad. I, man. I've seen the one picture of it and people are saying they look cheap and so, I can't deny them. Derek Gould tweeted this out. The new look to the workout whites and home Cardinals jerseys. No chain stitching in the name on the jersey. No tail either. The Cardinals color red looks like it's a new shade. One veteran pitcher told Derek Gould, quote, I don't like them. 
The name looks like it's too rounded. <laughs> the numbers are definitely too close. They look a little smaller to me as well. It looks like a jersey you'd buy in the mall. It looks like <laughs> a jersey I would buy from China. Like I would go online, go to an illegal shop, place that I may or may not have bought a jersey from previously. Uh -huh. And you buy them for 20 bucks and you pay $30 for shipping. BK bought a Kansas City Chef's jersey off of uh, China's website. <laughs> yeah. I bought a Cardinals jersey <laughs> on, uh, Go Cardinals! on there. But another one, another player told Jeff Jones, quote, they look cheap, end quote. <laughs> the fabric is a different consistency. The pants are no longer customized. They now, don't fit right, according to Miles Michaels. Now, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, this, this is just the jerseys. This isn't a Cardinals thing, right? This is like a, a major, major league baseball, baseball thing. Correct. Correct. Okay. So it's specific to the Cardinals in terms of what we're seeing yeah. here. But yeah, this is a major league baseball issue with fanatics because they're now going through fanatics. LBB cheap never happens. Yeah, <laughs> who could have seen that one coming? Good. So this is just the starting point. And then on top of that, we've got Derek Gould's reporting in the Post-Dispatch that basically says, yo, this clubhouse is not good. <laughs> and he's not talking about the vibes from the players. The actual clubhouse structure itself is like half existing right now down in Jupiter, apparently. They were trying to get all of this construction done. Alex, the hope was that they would have it done by this spring. Instead, they have done basically nothing because of all of the stuff that's taken place down in Jupiter trying to get this thing done. It's not exactly the the jumping off point that we were all looking for I for mean, the 2024 I mean, Cardinals. you guys had a week of Ali Marmal doing an interview with Xavier Scruggs and everybody's jumping on this bandwagon saying Cardinals World Series bound. And then in a matter of snap of fingers, we're talking about the, 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 uh, the club's workout facilities looks like crap. The jerseys are cheap looking and this team is not feeling those good vibrations. No. So like World Series to top pick in the draft? Well, let's jump. You couldn't ask. I for, don't know. You couldn't ask for more of a bad omen to start a season, coming off of a 91 loss year. This, this again. I I hope that there's. I this feels like the perfect thing for an excuse. Like when they get off to a slow start. I remember last year they're talking about how they were tired, and then they got two days off and just completely you know oh, what dude. the bad well, good, against Pittsburgh at home. Good thing they spent 35 million dollars on a lot of grizzled yeah. vets to provide good vibrations in good, that locker room. Good because they're not going to let yeah. this we kind saw, of stuff happen. Lance Lynn can tell everybody about what it's like to be around a crappy clubhouse. You saw Lance Lynn what he's driving, right? Yeah, yeah, I saw pink, he's got a uh, pink, pink Barbie, Barbie Jeep Bronco. Yeah. Uh, Yep, and see that that was worth the twelve million dollars. We don't need a, a a good starting pitcher with strikeout stuff. We need a guy who's going to get well, everybody as I told laughing. You, Alex Lance Lynn, a better strikeout rate, a better swing and miss rate. Excuse me, than Shohei Otani last You're year. Right. So and he if, actually did get a strikeout starter. He just you, happened to give up forty five home runs. And if you would compare the excitement of the fan base of when the Cardinals found out that Lance Lynn was returning and the Dodgers getting Shohei, you would say who's who. Who's who? I, I can't tell. What fan base well, is more excited? Actually, you would say that you got more out of it because Shohei's not throwing this year. Well, and <laughs> yeah. Lance is driving a pink Bronco. We're getting more innings, baby. We got good vibes and an actual pitcher. You know what? So, Hell yeah. All aboard well, the train. Honestly, I know you're upset, but like you would have been real mad if you had signed Shohei Otani expecting him to start for you this year as a pitcher. That would have been a big problem. Or you would have been real dumb if you would have signed Shohei Otani expecting him to. Why, wait, Shohei, you're not pitching this hey, it's year? It's not like we've signed anybody that wasn't good at their position and learned a month into the season before. You know, <laughs> very true. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line. I I appreciate this from the three one four guys. The positive way to look at this is when everything was going right, starting off, they had a terrible season. So maybe the opposite will happen if things start off a little negative. 
and great things happen during the regular when season. Did start crazy? Sir, that's a great point. Wait, when did it start I off think great it's last false year? Premise. I'm not totally sure that things started off super great yeah, last what year. What are you talking about? They had the a Cardinals. great opening day. I remember the Cardinals crying. Oh, so many guys are leaving for the World Baseball Classic. They oh, won, man, but a, they won against the Blue Jays in opening day. We can't develop chemistry like we're a basketball team. By the way, if they're whining about World Baseball Classic, what do you think you're going to be saying when the, the workout facilities for spring training is not 100%? Oh, it's fine. Everything's going to be fine. I can't wait for. Uh, it's all I can't wait for They're the not first. They're going to win a game in April. Spring training game. Oh gosh. So last thing that I wanted to get to from Cardinals camp. This is the time of year where you're like, oh, who's going to make the roster? What's the competition? Guys, the Cardinals don't actually have competitions going on, right? If we can all be honest about this. The There's always internal competition happening. If you want to be technical about it, I think there's two bench spots up for grabs. No, there's not. <laughs> But really, they're in in really dark pencil. You've got Matt Carpenter and Alec Burleson's name written in. Now, something could go awry, and maybe for me and Kennedy, Rivas, Young, one of those guys ends up making the roster. I'd be pretty surprised. But that's your last two bench spots, okay? In the bullpen, you've got technically three spots available for you. I'm not sure that it's actually three, though, because you got one Rule 5 guy who, if he's not on the 26-man roster, he goes back to Boston. So that spot's probably taken. So now you're down to two. And those two spots are probably going to come down to John King. I think he's going to make this roster. I'd be pretty surprised if he doesn't. So maybe one spot actually is available for you. And that's going to come down to Robertson, Palante, Libertor, Graceffo, O'Brien, etc. Thompson, you throw in there. Or is there actually any competition at this camp? I think all of the starting spots are spoken for. I think the rotation is already solidified. Your your bench spots are pretty much accounted for. There's like one spot in the in the bullpen that's available. That's it. Am I wrong here? Nope. Am I missing something? I, I, I don't okay. even know if there's one spot in the bullpen. I, I think the Cardinals probably have it decided and somebody's going to have to outperform. Um, but yeah, I think I've, there's no bench spots available. You're not signing Matt Carpenter for somebody to outcompete him for a roster spot. I don't care if Jose Fermin plays like Barry Bonds at spring training. Matt Carpenter's on this team. Would be quite impressive. It would be very impressive. I would question his offseason, but it'd be very <laughs> impressive. But then it comes down. I mean, is Fermin going to outperform over Alec Burleson? I just don't believe so. Unless somebody just completely issues the bed or defensively, they need a lot of help. I think that's Burleson and Carpenter. So, injuries. They, yeah, but that's not a competition. And that's, that never happens at spring training for the Cardinals. Correct. Yeah, Tommy I, Edmund will be fine. Yeah. yeah. Cardinals I, medical staff told us. I, I think position player wise, I think it's all set. I think those 13 guys are in place. In the only spot for me, I agree the rotation's locked up the whole story of like, oh, Thompson pitches. Well, no, yeah, no. they won't. I, I think I think it's three spots in the bullpen. And I kind of agree with what you said. King's probably a lock into that because I think they're going to want a second lefty. And then it comes down to the, those names that you said. I think one of those spots, I mean, Alex said it, that one spot's probably a lock. They're, they're going to want to carry a swing man. They always they love the idea of the long reliever, the swing man. So somebody in between that, Libertor Thompson, I'll throw Graceffo in there, but I think if he's in the bullpen, it's more of a one-inning guy. Those guys are the guys that are really competing for that long reliever spot, and I think that's about it. So it'll be fun. We got a... Uh... About a month and a half. Of You're giving training. off bad Watch. vibrations, you know just what? like the Cardinals regular season, and we find out if this team's any good. We so. need some Beach Boys. I'm picking up good, good vibrations. He's Alex. That's T-Bone on BK. Jeremy Rutherford joins the show coming up in about 15 minutes or so. He's up in Toronto, where he's going to be spending the entire day in his hotel room, which is a little disappointing. I mean, you're in Toronto, man. Like, go get some poutine or something. Enjoy yourself. Get some what? Poutine. 
Oh. <laughs> you know what I said. Didn't know you said that. <laughs> Coming up next. Yeah, some gravy fries. Go get those. <laughs> Just drenched in gravy. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what we mm. need. Got some hot dogs in Montreal, too. Did you see Jake Neighbors got a celebratory hot dog? Yeah, he said he's been crushing the hot dogs and he had one. Well, he's a hockey <laughs> like, player. Come on, man. You only get one, man. Yeah, how do you keep you gotta that gotta stay in shape. Otherwise, you can't be a power forward. Otherwise, you look like this, you know? For those that didn't see, he pointed to his stomach. Yeah. It's gut. It's coming up next. <laughs> Hot dog. There's a lesson to be learned from the Chiefs for the rest of the league. I'm not sure this is the one that a former NFL general manager had to say that I would be wanting to learn if I'm the other teams around the league. We'll tell you what that is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And T-Bone on BK. We've already got our uh, off-air Super Bowl takes flowing here today. Alex was a big fan of Usher. And this is why I wanted Alex to be here yeah. yesterday. Because T-Bone was over here trying to cramp my style when I was talking about how excited I was to see Usher, which is basically our childhood, oh, Alex. Yeah. Like, our middle school to high mm. school days were on full display yesterday. So many nights Sunday. spent at the roller skating rink listening Dude, to yes. Usher. This guy doesn't even know what it means to go to a dude, roller skating dude, rink. No chance you've been roller skating. No, I've been roller skating. My no hometown chance. had a roller skating no, rink. No, they well, of course they did. They, they, now they it closed when I was in middle school. school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we had one. We used to go. My first date was, uh, uh, we went out to a date and the song My Boo with Usher and Alicia Keys played. I can't you help you, you're old. One of you skating backwards, obviously not me. I was. Oh, I couldn't not, do it backwards either, man. Nah, always the girl. The girl's skating backwards as you're skating forward. You got the hands on And you'd sing to her too. It was always that West Coast, East Coast, where you had to skate and pick the girl and dance. Oh, 100%. They turned you down and you had to skate back by yourself. And that happened to anybody else? No? <laughs> Just me? All right, cool. Wait, I, I, you can't ish on a Super Bowl halftime show, T-Bone, if you've never even listened to the Dude, artist that's the, singing. The worst part is T-Bone was over there like... I asked him, I said, okay, you know, what, what can they do to appeal to you, right? Because it's like, okay, we're not just going to present the problems to show up. Yeah. We're not just going to present problems. We need to be a solution-oriented show here on BK and Ferrario. That's huh. our thing. We are solution-oriented. Yeah, that's, that's our thing. And he said, you know what? I, I just don't think that it's for me. <laughs> I was like, okay, we've gotten to the root cause here. Football. What Super Bowl halftime show is for you? Nothing. I, I don't know. I thought, like, Black Keys would be cool, but I, I want to see a concert, not somebody dancing around. I sure didn't even sing it. The last song. Yeah, he did. No, he just stood there bouncing around, roller skating. Which, by the way, it was like the most successful song that Usher has ever had. Uh, you didn't yeah, like. And as you just Correct. said off air, the whole reason it'll be memorable, not because of Usher, because everybody you brought with them. Yeah, but almost every halftime is the most memorable part of the guests that they bring out with them. Correct. And yeah. Ludacris walking out, I lost my mind in my house when I saw Ludacris. And he had his afro. I was so excited. It was great. Yeah. It, it was Suck it was T-bone. Great. It wasn't the greatest one ever. No. I, I'm not overstating anything. It J-Lo was just, and Shakira was. It, it is now to the point where Alex and I are the washed people that are watching the halftime shows. And I have now realized, because I used to say, man, all of these halftime shows are for the olds. Like, it's for the geriatric it community. still holds true. And, and now I'm realizing no, that yeah. we are the community that they are trying to get yeah. their show to be geared towards. And it's it's yeah. been a rough couple of weeks. I've talked to my therapist about it. And oh, now yeah? it's, yeah, it's. 
That's us. Yeah. That, that's that's now us that we they're trying these to, days. to target with that. That's okay, though. All right. So, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. That was pretty cool. Uh, we don't need to get into that. Randy Mueller, we're not going to talk about it today. That that was yesterday's show. Today, we're going we're, we're to move on. The, we're going to try to push this thing forward. Pick the worst data or best data poison myself. Former NFL general manager, 2000 executive of the year in the NFL. Tweeted this out earlier today. He does a podcast over on The Athletic. It's actually a really good show. So the Chiefs are now the poster child for not paying a wide receiver. Will other teams adopt and tamp down values on this year's mediocre group of free agency wide receivers as a result? Alex, maybe I'm off base here, but if there is one lesson to be learned from the Chiefs, I would think it's the opposite of this lesson. My lesson from this year's Chiefs season was, hot damn, they did not value wide receiver enough. (laughs) And this former NFL general manager is saying, hey, it's clear you can now win without valuing wide receivers. My retort would be this. If you have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, a top five defense and Andy Reid and the infrastructure of a two-time Super Bowl winning team in the last three years, yeah, you can maybe skate through and find a way to win a Super Bowl. If you don't have those other things, though, those are the prerequisites to getting to the Super Bowl to have that chance to win without valuing wide receivers. I would say it's the opposite. you got to value those receivers. What's funny about that is just like thinking in that mindset, like you really think Andy Reid walks out of that Super Bowl and is like, huh, you know what we just proved? Oh, we can win with no wide receivers. He's probably calling the the general manager up and saying, get me some damn receivers next season. That was we, harder than it should have been. We relied on Nicole Hartman to win us the damn Super Bowl in overtime. Like, they won the Super Bowl and were clearly the better team last year with Juju Smith-Schuster as their number one ride receiver. The lesson learned here is, hey, we just need somebody to the same talent level as Juju, and we can be good. But no, you don't walk out of that Super Bowl thinking, nah, you don't need wide receivers. You know what we need? We need good running backs and a good quarterback. Well, cool. That's what everybody freaking needs. Good luck finding a Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's that's the truth. The truth of what the lesson... Just hit puberty there. The truth of the the lesson, I I felt like Patrick Mahomes. The truth of this year's Chiefs team is, hey, the lesson is, hey, go find yourself the next great quarterback in the history of football. If you have that, nothing else really matters. Like, you'll just find a way to overcome everything else. But that's that's not realistic, man. You can't just go into this this year's draft and be like, hey, I'd like one Patrick Mahomes, please, and just hit a button and it shoots out a a, a dispenser of the next Patrick Mahomes. I think Cleveland's been asking for the next Patrick (laughs) Mahomes every draft in the last 20 years. I'll take two, please. Please, just have one on backup just in case. But then they'll probably trade that pick away. Of course. So they won't take him. They literally had the opportunity to take Patrick Mahomes and instead took Mitch Trubisky. But the lesson to be learned from this (laughs) year's team was... Invest in as many different quarterback options as you possibly can until yep. you get it right. That's what the Chiefs did, man. The Chiefs tried it with Matt Castle. It didn't work. They tried it with Alex Smith. It worked to a degree, but then they knew we've got to upgrade. This isn't good enough. And I think if you're looking at other teams around the league, and we've been talking about this for five years, it's not anything new. The lesson from the Chiefs of this last five years is don't settle. Don't settle. Don't sit with a quarterback like Giants. Learn the lesson. You gave $40 million to Daniel Jones, who was like the 25th best quarterback in the league. I think there's a chance that the Dolphins are going to be making a big mistake this offseason. Don't settle with Tua. Don't give him the five-year contract right now. Play this thing out. Find out, is this guy actually the right quarterback for us to be able to win at a high level? To go up against Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and C.J. Stroud? I, I think the answer is no. 
But if you go ahead and lock yourself into that, you're screwed. So invest and continue to take shots on finding a legit top 10 quarterback. And if you fail, so be it, man. That is the cost of doing business. But once you get it right, that's when you can actually compete with the big boys. And it's almost a requirement now to be able to get through the postseason. If you're in the AFC especially, if you don't have that quarterback, you're done. you got yeah. no chance. If anything, if there was a lesson from this, Kansas City should know, like, hey, the roster we have, we can win if we don't have that talent. But you don't go into next season saying, well, we don't need it because we just won the Super Bowl. It's we need this, but if something happens, we know we still have the talent as long as Patrick Mahomes, but you're going beyond Patrick Mahomes. Like you're talking about having Chris Jones on defense. You're talking about having Travis Kelsey who carried that team in the second half. That's actually a really good point. Blue chip players matter in this. Absolutely. Like in the Super Bowl, it mattered that the 49ers had Christian McCaffrey. We have so we have done this thing and I'm part of it, right? Where I say running backs don't matter. Running backs don't matter to a degree. When you have a player that is of the caliber of Christian McCaffrey is a future Hall of Famer. That matters. It matters a lot because it changes the math for the defense. They now have to put so many guys in the box that it allows you to have a better passing game because that guy exists in your backfield on any given play. The Chiefs had a blue chipper at quarterback this year. They had a blue chipper at tight end. Chris Jones, blue chip player. They had two blue chip cornerbacks this season. Those are the guys that ended up helping them win the Super Bowl. If you don't have every single one of those players, you're done. And so if you're one of these teams that has a a potential transcendent talent right now, do whatever it is that you can to be able to keep that guy on your roster. And if you have the opportunity this offseason, and it's going to be expensive, but the opportunity to go get, get one, you do whatever is in your power to make sure that player lands on your roster. Don't overspend for mid-tier talent. This is a lesson to the Cardinals, frankly. Spend, spend for the stars. Spend for the guys that actually change the game whenever you get to the biggest possible stage. So that's, that's what the Chiefs did. It's what the 49ers did. It's what the Ravens are doing. It's what we've seen from the Lions, I think, in the future. that they, This offseason, their plan should be go get more stars. Yeah. And when you do that, you've got an opportunity to win something meaningful. So uh, that the lesson to be learned from the Chiefs, absolutely not. Don't value wide receivers. It's, hey, if you have this other stuff in place, the wide receivers yeah. are less important. But if you don't have this stuff, go get yourself a wide receiver mm-hmm. because that's the only way you're getting to the Super Bowl. If you're the 49ers, Brock Purdy, for example, in the Super Bowl. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax slide. You can check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. Questions and answers at 1145. Jeremy Rutherford joins us live from Toronto coming up next here on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. News, notes, and nuggets. It's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. CNN right now. Their host legitimately just asked this question, Alex. 
Could you please comment on the conspiracy theories that the Super Bowl victory was actually rigged to benefit the Democrats? You got to be bleeping. <laughs> that is the question that was just asked. Sam. Can you imagine? Patrick Mahomes is sitting. He's at Disney World right now. He spent Sunday night on a drunken bender, which he deserved, out in Vegas. He was hanging out with Post Malone and a bunch of different celebrities. Taylor Swift was there, of course. They're hanging out. They're partying all night long. And then yesterday, he flies from, I would imagine, Vegas to Kansas City. And then from Kansas City straight to Disney World. He's doing this interview on CNN. And he's like, what? Hey, can you please comment on the fact that your Super Bowl victory was actually rigged? What a time to be I, alive. I, I, if I'm him, I'm like, I'm sorry. You just cut out. I got to <laughs> we got to reconnect because I'm not answering that damn question. I'm at Disney World, man. <laughs> I'm running on two hours of sleep. Yeah. I've got multiple kids. My wife's upset with me because I didn't do anything on Sunday night for them because I was on a drunken stupor. Kids screaming over here. He wants a Mickey Mouse ice cream. This kid wants to go on. It's a small world. And you're asking me about the Democratic Party? <laughs> what are we doing? All right, let's go to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's our Blues insider for The Athletic. Maybe he's got some comments <laughs> on the rigged Super Bowl. You can follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. Jay, I appreciate the time, man. How's Toronto? Yeah, it's great. It's great. But I think I get that situation figured out. I think it's because he's at Disney World with his family. He said to his PR department, can you please like have CNN get me and ask me some questions about the conspiracy just so I can get out of the line for this ride? And <laughs> my kid wants this and that. Like, I'll do whatever. Just get me out of here. Honestly, as somebody who just went through that, touche. <laughs> I, I don't want to stand in line for Mickey Mouse for an hour and a half. So let me go do this interview while they stand in line. Yeah, more interviews, please. But, yeah, no, guys, I'm I'm doing fine. But BK, I texted you earlier today. I told you I really missed out last night. I missed out. I uh, had a great night for one. I went to Aurora, uh, which is about uh, an hour away from uh, Toronto, to to hook up with the family of Robert Thomas and learn about Robert and his upbringing and what made him into the player that he is today. And I come back to my hotel in uh, Toronto. And uh, there's just traffic everywhere, horns honking. There's a, you know, just a vibe in the air here in downtown Toronto. I'm like, what did I miss? Is there a concert? Turns out the San Antonio Spurs are in town. And Victor, uh, can you guys help me? Wembenyama. Wembenyama. Nailed it. Everybody calls him Wembenyama. Performance for the ages. I mean, triple, double, uh, block shots was the third category. Guys, I, I had fun doing what I did last night with the Thomas family, but, uh, I'm not an NBA guy, but to see a performance like that would have been something. What's worse, him being in Toronto the night that Wimby went for the triple-double with 10 blocks, uh, something that almost never happens. Ooh, I know where this is going. Or BK stuck in an L.A. restaurant when Pujols hit 700 home runs. Correct. <laughs> After asking the group, could we please go to the Dodgers game tonight? I think Albert is going to hit 700. The three guys in the group, you'll be shocked to hear this, JR, all in favor of going to the Dodgers game. It was literally five minutes away from our table at the restaurant. My wife was in favor of going to the Cardinals game. Uh, her friends were not. So yeah, that, I'd, oh still say, I'd still say BK yeah. takes the cake on that one. Yeah, so it could, it could always yeah, just remember it, JR. It could always be you worse. could always be, be it, BK. It, I had a I had a great night. Uh, Scott Thomas, uh, Robert's dad, made a uh, marry me chicken dish. He's he's a great cook, and we sat there for a couple hours and, and talked about uh, Robert. So. I was by no means stuck. I just wish that maybe the Knights would have worked out differently and they could have seen something like that. Yeah, so, anyway, I, I got a quick question. How uncomfortable do you feel when you're sitting at a dinner table with Robert Thomas's dad and mom? <laughs> it was great. They were so accommodating. Look, he said, I'll come pick you up. I said, no, I'll take an Uber. It's an hour away. I don't want to get you stuck in the traffic. I pull in. 
Uh, you know, he's making dinner. It says on Robert Thomas's Wikipedia page that his dad's a chef. He says that he's not, but I'm telling you guys, this guy can cook. <laughs> he was he was tremendous. He looked like I told him he looked like Rachel Ray over at the stove, like most of the night. And 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 then he brings the dish over, and and you know they're telling me about Robert and playing with Connor McDavid growing up, and Quinn Hughes, and he knows such great stories that I'm going to be able to pass along in the athletic. And then get this. His wife, Deb, goes downstairs, and she's got a freezer full of chocolate chip cookies that she makes, and she sets one on the table, lets it thaw, thaw out, and I have a chocolate chip cookie. She said, hey, the Kachucks love these. You know, I'm famous for these cookies. You know, Keith and, and Chantel, Matthew, and, and Brady's mom, uh, they know that I make these. So what did I do? I take a picture of me eating one of Deb Thomas's oh, pictures. No. I send it to Big Walt. I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. Here it comes. Text from Big Walt. Lay off the cookies, Jr. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that was going to be the response from Big Walt. We all saw that one coming. <laughs> all right, Jr. Let's talk for, about these blues for a couple of minutes. Because, hey, man, I have been skeptical. I've been mostly negative about this team all year long. I mean, they fired their their coach midway through the season, and there were people that were like, "Oh, this is 2019 all over again." I push back, push back, push back. Man, they are playing some inspired hockey. The loss going into the break kind of threw us off the scent. Terrible performance against Columbus. No excuse for that. But otherwise, they've been great for close to a month now. How much are you believing what we are seeing right now, Jr.? Well, I, I believe in in what they're doing in terms of going out and, and giving an honest effort and, and executing better and winning games, and it looks good. Like, I know we're not trying to compare the 2019 team here, but to me, that was a great team that just could not figure it out, and then they did, and then they just got a, on a roll. You know, I think this is a team that the roster isn't nearly comparable, but I think they're just finding the right thing to do right now, and, and, and they're getting rewarded for how they're playing, and it's working for them right now. So could they make the playoffs? Yes. Could they win around? Yes. You know, in two weeks, could they stumble and then we look back and say, well, this wasn't the team that we saw a couple weeks ago having that success. Yeah. I think that could happen too. So I don't want to take anything away from them. I think they're uh, responding to drew Bannister. I think the things that we needed to see some of that secondary secondary scoring has popped up in the last few games. And I think the power play, which was the point of contention all season long has looked great. I mean, I did some number crunching yesterday, guys, They've won seven of their last eight, we know. In those eight games, the power plays 37%. That's second in the league mm. behind Florida. In that eight-game span, who would have thought we'd be talking about the power play having that kind of success at this time of the year? Speaking of that power play, JR, Tory Crew coming off of a game where he has two assists on two power play goals. He has five in the game. Do you believe that he has changed the narrative of, of his time in St. Louis compared to what it was in the offseason at the beginning of this year? I think that he's improved it. I don't think that he's changed it yet. I think that I see it, that it's been a good year for Tory Krug in terms of, you know, last year the defense for the whole unit was terrible. Uh, Tory Krug was a big part of that. I think this year I've seen a Tory Krug, you know, yeah, there have been some hiccups and, you know, people, I see it on my Twitter during the game. There's another mistake by Tory Krug. But by and large, for the most part, I think he's been physical. I think he's, you know, closed out a lot of plays. Uh, the offense hasn't necessarily been there. The power play hasn't been there until recently. So I do think there's room for, you know, some, some criticism. But I, I think he's changed it. This could have definitely went 
uh, the same direction that it was going last year, especially with the trade speculation, so on and so forth. But I think his play has improved, and some people have taken notice. And, you know, if he sticks around and finishes out the year, I think he's got a chance to try to continue to put it in that right direction. JR, final question that I've got for you. And Jeremy Rutherford is our guest. He's the Blues insider for The Athletic. He joins us weekly here on BK and Ferrario. You can follow him on Twitter. You'll be able to see that link soon uh, for the Robert Thomas story that he's putting together for The Athletic at JP Rutherford. I wanted to ask you about Jake Neighbors. He, Gordie Howe hat trick over the weekend, scored, I think it was three goals in the two games overall. He's up to 18 on the season, on pace for almost 30 this year. If I asked you this question, what would be the fill in the blank? Jake Neighbors is the best Blues power forward winger since blank? Uh, You know, on the spot here, I would say David Backus. I think that, you know, David Backus did move to the center. Um, He was by, you know, early in his career, a winger. And I think, you know, Andy Murray was the one that moved him to center. So I really want to classify him. Um, But I, I just think in terms of, you know, doing the right things. And, you know, I asked Jake Neighbors a couple of days ago uh, there in Buffalo. I said, did you ever see yourself as a 20-goal scorer? And he said, no. Like, I'm waiting for a yes. And he says, no. Uh, but the things that he does, guys, I'm sure you broke it down, but you go back to that goal where he set up Shen, and then Shen has the shot off the pads, and the neighbor drives the net and, and scores. That pass off the boards that bounces to Shen and creates that whole situation, I mean, that's not – somebody his age that, that makes that type of play. So that speaks to his maturity, his level of thinking, intelligence on the ice, being smart. There's just so much to him. And, you know, Bacchus used to bang, right, and get in front of the net as well. I think neighbors can do that. And maybe as he gets older, it's not a massive part of his game, but it is now as he's getting himself established. So, you know, there's other players. Alexander Steen used to do stuff similar to Jake Neighbors. Uh, those are definitely two guys that you like to be lumped in with. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. Fun game tonight. Blues versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. A lot of storylines surrounding this yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs team right now. Not exactly the great great spot for them uh, coming into this one. They're going to be without one of their uh, key defensemen after a, an interesting play at the end of that Ottawa game over the weekend. So uh, certainly plenty to follow there. We'll be doing it all over at The Athletic, at J.P. Rutherford on Twitter. Appreciate the time, my friend. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, thanks, boys. Talk to you later. As Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I, let's spend a couple of seconds on this here. Did you see the play? Was it Morgan Riley yeah. who... Yeah, their best defenseman. So, for people that aren't familiar with what happened over the weekend, Ottawa had an empty netter. One of their players, instead of just tapping it in, decided to have the audacity to actually shoot it into the back of the net, taking out some frustration, I'm sure. That's basically what it was. And yeah. technically, it's seen as showing up the other team, right? It's like flipping your bat in baseball or taunting in the NFL, getting into the end zone, and then like throwing the ball at the other team. That's that's essentially the equivalent of what happened here. So Morgan Riley takes it in his own hands and like cross-checks him into the wall right after he scores the goal. Yeah, in his face. <laughs> People seem to have the opinion, and maybe I'm just soft here, that that was obviously not the correct retaliation, but that some kind of retaliation needed to take place there. Mm-hmm. Alex, why? Why did there need to be retaliation after, like, it's an empty net goal. Why does it matter if he taps it in versus, like, a slap shot into the back of the net? I'm confused by it. I would say it's the equivalent of if a pitcher throws a ball inside and high at at a batter's head, you're expecting the retaliation from the other side. Like, 
if a guy is going to do that, now it's not the same because obviously you're trying to injure the individual compared to showing the other team up, but there's these unwritten rules in hockey, and whether you like them or not, it's taunting, it's showing up the other team, it's like flipping off the other team at the end of a game. So I can understand the other side being frustrated, but here's my problem with it. If you're Morgan Riley, why not just skate over there and drop your gloves 100%. and punch the guy? Yeah, that, that was the correct retaliation like what, if you're going to have one. What Ryan Reeves said, I, I actually agree with him. And maybe I'm just old school because it's the older brand of hockey. But the younger side of hockey that's coming in, they play the game a different style. And so guys have to kind of force the old style onto them. Whether you like it or not, sure. that's how it is. But. Morgan Riley not just only screwed his team over for now he's going to miss five to ten games because of those actions. And he deserves to. And he deserves it. And all you needed to do to to send the exact same message was to go over there, drop the gloves, and start punching. Because the worst thing that was going to happen to you was you get a game misconduct. And you probably get fined. But instead, you decided to go over and cross-check him in the face. I'm with you. I think sometimes individuals can get way too soft when it comes to stuff like that that they have to go over and send a message but like cool send your message but with your fists not a stick to the face 100 percent. it was very clearly i don't think there's i haven't seen anybody saying like this was the right thing he, right. he, he well, handled this the correct other way. than sheldon keith <laughs> right <laughs> Which, eh. I, I if really the quibble is does it even need to be right. taken care of um, because I understand like what you're saying right now, I would have no issue if he did that. I, yeah. I don't have a strong opinion on it, but for me personally, like, and this is me who I, I've never picked up a stick. I've never put on the skates. Like I'm not a, I was not a hockey player growing up. So I am purely approaching this as a third party from the outside looking in. I can speak to it from basketball or football. Like I don't care if you celebrate after a big play I, in baseball, if you're up big, and you hit a home run, and it's just a monster home run to finish this thing off to, like, really seal the deal. I got no problem with you pimping that thing. No right. problem whatsoever. I know old school, you absolutely should not do that, and it's going to be taken care of the next time those two teams For meet. sure. I don't think that's happening as much anymore. And honestly, I kind of like it. I like that there's a little bit more personality in the game. Somebody on the text line said, guys, it's like dancing on the Cowboys logo. Love it. Great. Do more of that. Yeah, I, don't I would care like about to see that. more of that in football. Uh, from the 636, it's like... Um, slamming the ball down instead of laying it up in basketball. Cool. I like that. I would prefer to have that at the end of a basketball yeah. game. And I mean, with, with some authority. When Jose Bautista did the big bat toss in the middle of that game and everybody got their, their panties up in a wad, like, sure, it, it pisses you off, but it's a part of the game. He's celebrating. Now, I think more, like, people saw this as him taunting the other side. I think some of this also was just Ridley Grieg being pissed off that he has been struggling and he decided to take his aggress- aggression out on a puck. And, and his team has been terrible. Absolutely. Like but the- regardless, if you're Toronto, I don't think you should be worried so much about a guy putting a putt in the net with a slap shot. Be more worried about your team's overall performance where, by the way, your best one of your best players in Morgan Riley just is now going to miss the next six games because he decided to cross-check a dude in the face. So that's team the Blues are taking on tonight. Blues versus the Maple Leafs up in Toronto. That's going to be an early one for you right here on 101 ESPN. Alex has pregame starting at 5 o'clock. Puck drop for Blues versus Toronto coming up tonight at six. All right, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. 
Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, I'm BK. It's good to have the game back, gang back together, boys. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line. I ever thought I would be happy to see you, but I was happy to see you today. I missed you too, but I'd give it three hours. Well, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm going to be wishing for two weeks of vacation probably tomorrow, but for now, I was very happy to see you. Don't you worry. I'll be taking off here pretty soon. No surprise there. <laughs> oh, hey, oh, you. Hey, you, I, the two of you. I'm not saying no. anything. <laughs> T-Bone took like six days off. I, you took what? 11 days yeah. off. I've heard enough of this nonsense almost, about me taking vacation. I used almost all of my vacation days. <laughs> I, have, well. I think I have three weeks of vacation right now accrued for this yeah. year. I think I have like... And I get three more weeks, so you guys just wait. Yeah, it's going to be a fun I'll year. I'll have three weeks by August times roll around, which then I'm going to be off again, so... And T-Bone gets no more vacation. Sorry, man. You're here no matter what. All right. From I the uh, 314. Guys, the Super Bowl is in New Orleans next year. Do you think there is somebody that makes sense as a New Orleans native to perform at halftime? Mm. Lil oh, Wayne is football. one that immediately comes to mind. Lil Wayne, me. I don't think, can perform at a Super Bowl. Like, I, I just don't know. If, like, he's got, don't get me wrong. Like, he's probably one of the most successful rappers. But I don't know if you can pull off a Super Bowl with 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 what the Lil Wayne style, if that makes sense. That'd yeah. be like T Pain doing a Super Bowl. I don't think it's gonna work. I think that's fair. Um, I'm sure there's somebody immediately. I'm trying to think of like that is obvious that I'm not thinking of. But I, I Lil Wayne is the one that immediately came to mind for me, honestly. Like Lil Boosie. But I, I don't, Lil I don't Boosie. think, I, I don't think he's in prison anymore. But um, that that would be one option. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not sure. Like I feel like you got to do something. DJ Khaled. He's from New Orleans. Uh, I'm not questioning. I I didn't know yeah, that. New Orleans. He was born there. And I, I feel like you got to do something jazzy. Like you you got to get some of the vibes from New Orleans. But yeah. I don't know how you do that as a halftime show for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking through right now just to see like famous musicians that are that were born in New Orleans and like I'm not Britney Spears is from uh, Louisiana. I don't think that's the, I think that's a good uh, move. You don't either. I don't think that's a good <laughs> move right now. I, I wouldn't say that would be immediately my first. Call, I mean, don't get me wrong. That, I'd watch it. Love me some Britney Spears. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not seeing anybody on this list right now that jumps out at me. I, I think you've got to do you've got to do something jazz related. Even if it's somebody that comes in as a like a Batman or a Robin to somebody else's Batman, I, you, you got to yeah. include them in some way. You got to be able to Wayne get some of the be a part player. of it. Don't get he, me he's wrong. Be some somebody. Yeah. I think he'll be. I mean, too bad Louis Armstrong has passed away. He'd be he'd be great. That'd be great. That'd be great. I'd right. watch that one. <laughs> 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, if you were Patrick Mahomes, would you actually go to Disneyland or just say that you went to Disneyland? Oh, I would just say I went to Disneyland. After all of that, there's no freaking way I want to go to Disneyland. Yeah, that's where I am. I mean, I I, there, I would want to enjoy the time in Vegas. I know he was there, but like you were there for the evening and then you had to leave. I'd want to enjoy my time there and celebrate. And then I'd want to just go home and relax and party in Kansas city. I would not want to be going to Disneyland. Yeah. I would have no interest in going to Disneyland after 
being in Las Vegas, partying it up, and then like getting two hours of sleep to go to the quote-unquote happiest place now, on earth. You have to take into consideration he's got a family. And this is like VIP access at Disneyland. Yeah. So that's the part that's like, not like your experience. Yeah, I wouldn't care because if, if I'm him, my daughters are going to Disneyland and they're going to get front of the line access for everything. So I guess I would have to suck it up and go. 314-399-9646 is the air covered service X line from the 618. Guys, who is the Cardinals player that you're most excited to see in spring training? Uh, can I go first? Sure. Sure. Matt Carpenter. Oh, don't act like you're not happy he's back. You were so excited you about him a so week excited. ago. You were so excited. You were like, oh, everybody's complaining. Matt Carpenter's a great person to have around. Leadership. That is what happened. Victor Scott, by a wide margin, is the guy that I'm most excited to watch at Cardinal Spring Training. I want to see him get a good amount of playing time this year in spring. I know as the spring continues on and it progresses, you're going to see a lot of Tommy Edmond in center field, and you should. And Dylan Carlson to get his spots, he should as well. Early on, though, I would love to see a lot of Victor Scott. I want to see how he looks going up against legitimate major league competition. So get him opportunities against major league starters. I, that's the guy that I want to see. I want to see what it looks like. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I I think I would like – I want, I'm excited to see Sonny Gray. And I know that seems – dumb because you're going to see plenty of them but I, I this is the first time that they've spent this much money and brought in somebody of this high of ilk in terms of a free agent for a pitching side i'm very excited to see what he has to offer for the longevity of this spring training yeah i, I would say scott is my number one but if i'm going to go different the other two guys that i'm excited about thomas jc who took the minor leagues by storm once he was acquired last year at the trade deadline I, i'm excited to see what he looks like and then a pitching prospect that i'm intrigued by I've seen him pitch once, and I, I saw him as a starter, but I, I'm curious to see what he looks like in camp would be Gordon Graceffo. I feel like he's been talked about for, the, the what, the last two years, I would say. I, I think they're going to come to the conclusion he's probably a bullpen arm, but I'm excited to see what his stuff looks like because if he has a good camp, I, I could see where he ends up making this bullpen come opening day. Tink Hens is another one. Yeah. Because uh, you're going to hopefully see him in a starting his, spot. TK Roby. Yeah, Roby will be yeah. fun. I, hints last year, man. I, I think I saw him twice on television. One time wasn't great. The first time, though, oh, my gosh. The stuff looked good. By the way, John Batiste is another one that I bet you he's a part of the halftime show in some capacity. Someone I brought thought up you were talking about a Cardinal Cup. like, <laughs> no, no, make that name no, no, no. Someone brought up Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. That, those are the kinds of people that yeah. I think you could see involved in some capacity. I don't know. Frank Ocean. That's I'm just I'm just one. looking through names think right he'll now. Be a headliner. Oh, Master P. Yeah, that that'll for sure be the route that they go with the the NFL. Um, <laughs> I think there will be a lot of people that are involved. Oh this God. could be something where they just put together kind of a dude, Master P and Lil Romeo, father son duo at halftime. Yeah, that that would that would be their. That's how you do it, man. Go Juvenile. It. I feel like this could be similar to the one that you loved a couple of oh years God, ago, Alex. Was so where it was just all of the rappers and yep. musicians from the, the early 2000s that T-Bone had never heard of. That was the best Do that, but with show. the New Orleans musicians. You could do something like that and it'd yeah. be good. But you got to have somebody as the front man. You got to have somebody that goes out there and like puts it all together in some capacity. Yeah. I don't know who that person will be. All right, coming up next, does Steven Matz have the potential to make up for what the Cardinals are missing in their rotation? We'll talk about it. Discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Right, so Stephen Matz is 
somebody that I don't think we've talked about enough this offseason. There was a really good piece over at Cardinals.com by John Denton earlier today talking about all of the things that Matt's has done this offseason to hopefully stay healthy this year. He said his first two seasons at a Cardinals uniform were a failure in his mind, and I think that's fair. It's been totally underwhelming at wor- at best and a legitimate failure at worst. When they signed Steven Matz, Alex, you remember my response? Cool, cool. That was it. Nothing more, nothing less. I, I thought he was, that was different. a perfectly fine starter. But you can only be that guy that I said, cool, about if you're healthy. And he has not been healthy over the past couple of seasons. But the season prior to him becoming a Cardinal, he was really good. 150 innings, over 30 starts for the Toronto Blue Jays. You don't expect a ton of innings out of him. That's fine because the effectiveness is there and the strikeouts are there, something that the Cardinals are severely lacking. So I, what I wanted to ask you about, Alex, we, we focus a lot on the number two starter in the Cardinals rotation, how they don't really have one right now. If you wanted to be a Cardinals homer, put on your Mo bow tie and try to speak highly of what they have there, you could point back two years ago to what Miles Michaelis was. And it, it's not hard to say, hey, he threw 200 innings and had a sub 3-5 ERA. That's a number two starter. True. Now the rules are different and he doesn't have any swing and miss, which I, I do think matters. But OK, I can at least squint my eyes and, and understand how you get there. But even if I believe that to be true. Who's your number three? Because I don't think Lance Lynn really projects to that at this point in his career. He once upon a time did, but not now. Kyle Gibson is a four. So who is the number three starter in this rotation, even if you have that number two guy? I think it needs to be Steven Matz. I think he's the answer. And as I looked in yesterday at the Braves, Phillies, and Diamondbacks options for their number three starters in their rotation, it made me even more, more firm in this evaluation. The Braves' number three starter going into this year is probably considered to be Charlie Morton. He had a 3.6 and a 4.3 ERA over the past two years. Really solid. Strikeout rate, pretty good. Gives you about 160 innings per year. I like Charlie Morton a lot. He's a legitimate number three starter. Ranger Suarez, the number three starter right now. Hopefully they don't sign Blake Snell or Jordan (laughs) Montgomery. But as of today, he's their number three starter in Philadelphia. Last two years, ERA of 3.7 and 4.2. And then finally, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Their number three starter is Eduardo Rodriguez. He's had an ERA in his career ranging between a 3.8 and a 4.7. Basically, every year he's in the the low threes or the or the high threes or the low fours in terms of his ERA. This really does get back to Steven Matz where it's like, okay, if you can be the guy you were for the, the Blue Jays, the guy the Cardinals thought they were signing, he has the upside. To go head-to-head against Morton, Suarez, Rodriguez, and you have that number three starter in your rotation. But Alex, what's your level of confidence that he can reach that? Yeah, I mean, it's not very high. I mean, first of all, raise your hand if you had on your bingo card, Steven Matz, the first one the Cardinals would say just came to camp in the best shape of his life. Oh, I could have heard that one. Yeah, yeah I could have put that I, on my I bingo card. I wasn't expecting Steven Matz to be in that category, but he pulls that one off. I'm expecting I, a Carlson one, so too. <laughs> Carlson and a Lance Lynn. I've seen pictures of Lynn. He does look slimmed down, but I'm waiting for the best shape of his life. I, I mean, I... I'm not going to disagree that he could be a number three starter for you because even last year, I think he showed the ability to be a number three starter and his numbers showcase that a 3.86 ERA with 105 innings, you want to see more innings, but that's the ERA you're looking for as a number three. My concern is just the injury with him because Steven Matz has this trend in the first, in the two years in St. Louis to where he starts the year off poorly. 
He looks like a number five starter, like he can't find the strike zone, and you're wondering what the hell's happening. He then gets injured. He then goes to the bullpen for a little bit of a stretch, and he looks great, and then he gets that run again in the rotation, and then he gets injured again. And it's a trend that worries me because you can sit here and say, like, well, yeah, he could totally be your number three starter. But, like, are we talking about five starts? Are we talking about eight starts? Because the number three starter is great, but I don't really care if he's a number three starter for me in May, June, and July. I need a number three starter in August, September, and October. And I don't know if he has shown that in his entire career to be that type of pitcher in August, September, and October. So I have confidence that he could give that to you. He's got the swing and miss stuff. He's a guy that can give you five innings of really good stuff. But I just don't really care if you give me that in June or July. I really need it late in the season. Yeah, I I think... Steven Matz can do it, but I think it's more in spurts than it is for a full season. And I don't even I don't even say that as like a bad thing. I, I think that's fine. Like look at Brandon Font and what he did for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That guy was not a three for Arizona all year long. But what happened? He got hot at the right time and pitched like a three. And that's what I'm skeptical yeah, of. But I I think Matz can do that. My my concern would be just does he stay healthy for a full year? And, and if he is healthy, then then maybe he can do it for a full year. But I, I would be totally fine by saying like, hey Steven Matz is going to be our number three. At some point this year, maybe not at the beginning, maybe not in June and July, but the hope is by the time you get to October or when you're pitching down the stretch in the playoff race, that Steven Matz is that number three. So I I don't mind going into the year saying, hey, Steven Matz can be that guy for us in spurts. And and my hope would be that Lance Lynn, if everything turns right for him, he can be that guy in spurts as well to be a number three. So I I think they're in a good spot with the number three. If I told you, I, I, I locked it in right now, I've got a magic eight ball and it it said, I, I ask it, will Steven Matz start 25 games this year for the Cardinals? And it said it 100% yes. He, he will get 25 starts for you this year with the Cardinals. Are you confident that he alone is good enough to be that number three starter? Like you're you're locking it in twenty five starts, hundred and thirty, hundred and forty innings for you. That that's that is set in stone. And I'm not telling you, I I it's a it's behind it a, a, a wall in terms of what the ERA is, the effectiveness is. Do you think that with 25 starts this season, Matt would would be effective enough to be that number three starter? If you? I had to put a number on the confidence from one to 10, 10 being highest, I'd put it at six. Like if you're giving me 25 starts from him, I'm a, I'm a little more co- more optimistic than pessimistic that he could give you somewhere around a 3.6, 3.9 ERA in 25 starts. But that's you guaranteeing me he's playing 25 games. That, and that's the it. hardest part. Like The biggest question, this is why I'm asking, is because I think the biggest question about Matt's is just durability. See, I don't, I don't really question his effectiveness when he's out there. But see, that's the part it, I just don't know. As long as what we saw at the end of last year was real. But that's see, that's the, the part. Is like, he starts it so slow. Yeah. I don't think he was hurt at the beginning of the year last year when he got demoted to the bullpen. So, like, it's hard for me to say, like, if I guarantee 25 healthy starts, I know what I'm getting from Matt's. I, I think when everything is right and everything is clicking and he is healthy, yeah, he can be a number three. And that's why I say, like, if, if you told me out of those 25 starts he's going to be a number three for half of them, I'd say, yeah, I could believe that. But for all 25, like uh, I, I don't know because I don't think it's just health issues that have had been, had part of his struggles. I think 2022, the struggles were injury-related. The beginning of 2023, though, I do not think was a injury-related concern for him. I think it was a lack of, lack of effectiveness. I think he was just off. I don't know if it was timing. I think he was tipping his pitches a bit. I don't think he had confidence in his changeup. And when you have all of those things that come together, uh, you've got a guy that's just off. And wow. now he needs to go to the bullpen, and get we- himself back. 
get the command going again. And the intent, you hear that a lot from Ollie Wright with his pitches. I, I don't think it was there early on in the season. He, he didn't seem to have any authority over what he was throwing. And then finally he started to get there and then he gets hurt again, which has been the case each of the last two years. Right when he starts to kind of find his groove, season ends with a significant injury. So I, I would have probably a seven in terms of my belief in him as a number three starter as long as I'm getting the innings, as long as I'm getting those 25 starts. But my confidence in him getting to that 25 starts is is incredibly low. It's like a three right now. I mean, you look back at what he's done over the last four seasons. He's just not a guy you've been able to count on for that durability. I just pulled this up. The first 10 starts in 2022, he had 37 and a third innings pitched and a 6.03 ERA. Last year, 10 starts uh, 53 innings pitched, 5.6 ERA. Yeah, that, and then see, you look at what happen. he's done in the second half, it's been around 3.4 or lower in the second and, half. And though that first half is disappointing, and that, and depending on what Lennon Gibson do, it could really set the Cardinals back. As long as he figures it out by the time you get to October, I have no issue with it. Because I think he can be a three. See, that, that's where I'll disagree. I actually think you have to have him start off well this year because of the way that this team is constructed and because of the questions that are there that exist going into the deadline. You need a, not a hot start, but you need to be good early this season. You can't have a season in which you're kind of meandering and right around 500, maybe a little bit below. That that can't be the way that this team operates. And if you don't get quality starts, and I'm not talking about literally quality starts in terms of six innings, three earned runs or fewer, five innings. Give me five innings consistently out of Steven Matz of one to three earned runs. And if you get that out of him, man, I feel like this team could be really good in 2024. But it's hard for me to believe that they're going to get that when you're right, Alex. They got 10 starts, 50 innings, so he's going five innings for him. But giving up a 570 RA in his first 10 starts of last year, they went 2-8 and eight in those games. Yeah, yeah. That, you, you can't overcome that. That is too much for this team to be able to overcome because now you're not getting deep into games and you're not having the effectiveness within those innings. If he starts out that way, he will once again be replaced by Zach Thompson, Matthew Libertor, TK Roby, Michael McGreevy. They will have somebody else that comes in and replaces him in the rotation. And that's the dangerous part because when, when you're relying on those younger players to carry you through a certain time of the season, you're putting more emphasis on Lynn and Gibson, which I don't trust. Well, see, I, in, to your to your dis- where I would disagree with you on they have to have Steve Matz do this before the deadline, they have to have one of Matz or Lynn do it. I, I'm less skeptical. I'm, I'm more skeptical if Lynn can do it. But, man, if last year wasn't one-off, I mean, your favorite stat, he has more swing and miss than Otani, then he can pitch as a number three if he just keeps the ball in the ballpark. And, look, I'm more skeptical of that than I am of Matt's. One of those guys has to pitch like a three until they get to the deadline. Yep, and that's it's something that they're going to lean on. I, I don't know that it's something that you can count on. Somebody on the text line asks, uh, what is a fair question? Guys, how many starters last year made at least 25 starts over the course of the season? The answer is 80. There were 80 starters that made at least 25 starts last season. So if you average it out, it's like two and a half to three per per team that were able to get the 25 starts. I think the Cardinals need four of them. Going into this year with the way that they're constructed, I think you need four starters. I think starters you better go sign Jordan Montgomery. Am I, am I wrong here? Do you guys disagree? No, with that? I think you're spot on. The problem is I don't think you. Count I don't think four your depth is actually improved from I last year. I don't either. I, I think they keep saying this and we act like it's true, but it's not. No, <laughs> they, they have better options in the five man rotation. I totally it, believe that. Their six, seven, and eight guys are the same dudes that they put out but, there last year. But I don't spots. even think they have good depth in their one through five because my problem is like when a team has good depth, if I lose I one big certainty in your one through five, if you lose Miles Michaelis, you're comfortable where your team is at. No, but that's that's getting into six, seven, eight. I'm totally in agreement there. Like there's oh, okay. six, seven, I eight starters. You. I 
They're the same as they were last year. It's Zach Thompson. It's Matthew Liberatore. It's the same guys. The difference is you don't have Dakota Hudson this I got year. You. Instead of Dakota Hudson, it's Michael McGreevy, which is, I mean, basically one and the same. Neither of them strike anybody out, and they didn't develop the way that the Cardinals expected them to. So I, I don't know why I'm supposed to believe now that that depth is so great, so excellent, when it it's the same dudes. Now, you're... Your double A depth, the guys that are coming in 2025 and beyond, I do think that is what has improved. TK Roby, Tink Hints, you have upside that is lower down in the minor leagues right now. But your upper levels, it doesn't have a lot of guys that are significant contributors for your major league team. It's a bunch of the guys that you leaned on a year ago and you went out and you signed Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. So that way you didn't have to do that again. So I, it, it's hard for me to believe that the depth is significantly better, but they're one through five. Yeah. I, I think there's more certainty there. You don't have to worry about Jack Flaherty or getting Adam Wainwright back on track this time around. I do think there's more certainty. The depth is, it's not all that improved, even though they're trying to sell you on that. Jordan Montgomery's still sitting out there. Coming up in 15 minutes. I would sign Blake Snell personally. In 15 minutes. No, he can't find the strike zone. The Blues <laughs> are starting to eliminate the excuses that they kept bringing up a year ago. And I commend them for it. We'll get into that at 1230. NFL Quick Hitters coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Guys, I am curious when you look at what Patrick. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, you know what? My stomach's starting to feel a little weird. I need to go home and take more medicine. I'm out. So there has been a lot of talk around the NFL over the last 24 hours or so about what this offseason is going to be for teams across the league, especially at the quarterback position, Alex. And one of the teams that is squarely in the national spotlight right now is the Chicago Bears. Now, over the weekend, I don't know if you saw this, the pregame show, Adam Schefter was talking about the Bears offseason plans. And he said kind of offhand, yeah, there's been discussions about what you do. Do you draft Caleb Williams? Do you trade Justin Fields? Do you draft Caleb Williams and keep Justin Fields? Maybe keep both of them? And that drew a lot of attention. Like, okay, hold on. The, the Bears are talking about keeping both quarterbacks on the roster? No sense. It's something you have to at least discuss. You don't do it because it would be stupid to do so. But in those offices, yeah, you should be having every conversation. What would option A, B, C, D, F look like for the Chicago Bears? Because you're the team that holds all of the cards this offseason. You got a quarterback that has value on the trade market and you have the number one overall pick in a year where there are multiple quarterbacks that people think are worthy of being the number one overall pick. The reason why I bring this up, Alex, there is now a new rumor out there that Justin Fields is a prime target by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin, apparently, according to Adam Schefter, loves Justin Fields. How would you feel about that as a fit for Fields if he is indeed traded? I think it's a great fit for him. I think it's a bad move if you're Chicago because I don't know what you're going to get from Pittsburgh. I mean, unless second round pick, probably, which sucks. I mean, it sucks. And I don't think you're probably going to get more like the ideal scenario. If you're Chicago is to trade him to New England and get their first round pick. But I don't oh, think that's going to happen. That much for him. I, I mean, in terms of Justin Fields, though, 
if my career wants to take the major step forward, it would be with Pittsburgh because I think Mike Tomlin could get the best out of Justin Fields. I think that's desperately what Pittsburgh needs is a quarterback that can control games and actually be a mobile threat. And at least he's got weapons to work with in Johnson and Pickens, whether you like it or not. But yeah, yeah I think that would probably be the best fit for Justin Fields. And if they're interested, I'd look at Chicago and say, that's where I want to go. I also love the fit with Arthur Smith. That's what I was going to bring up. Coordinator. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love it because Arthur Smith, the reason I connected him to the Falcons was because of Arthur Smith. You're going to be run heavy. It's going to lead to play action. He'll utilize Justin Fields' legs as well. I, I like the fit, and I think... I, I like it more because of Tomlin, but I think Arthur Smith is a nice kind of cherry on top to help him out. I I would question if he'll work well with Pickens, but you know what? I, that's something you just got to try Move on from Pittsburgh. You, if the problem you have no solution. You're not, and you weren't bad enough to get into a good spot to draft a quarterback this year. Yeah, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line, guys. I heard them talking about this on the morning show earlier today when discussing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and and who the AFC team is that could dethrone them as soon as next year. I've got a little bit of a different question for you. Who could be the Peyton Manning to Patrick Mahomes' version of Tom Brady? And what I mean by that, early on, Brady 2-0 against Peyton Manning in the playoffs. Did you know Manning actually ended their careers, though, with a winning record in the playoffs against Tom Brady? Peyton Manning, 3-2 and two straight up in the playoffs against Tom Brady. But it started out with Brady getting the wins, and that's how we remember it. We all remember it for what the narrative was early on. Manning was the choke artist, Brady was the winner, and that's how they're both remembered accordingly. Who could be that guy? Who could be the guy that struggled early on in their careers against Mahomes, but eventually ends up maybe overtaking him in a couple of playoff games? I mean, a lot of people are going to pick Joe Burrow here. I'm going to go with the guy that I've put all my chips in the middle for. I think it's C.J. Stroud. Hmm. I think C.J. Stroud is going to be the guy. And he hasn't struggled against him because they had not seen him in the playoffs yet. But I think C.J. Stroud, if they build that team properly... I think within the next couple of years, you could see a Houston Texans team make a little bit more noise against the Chiefs than anybody else has. I just think he's the only competent quarterback we've seen other than Joe Burrow that could find a way to legitimately beat a a Patrick Mahomes and a Kansas City team. Yeah, I I really like that one because Stroud was really impressive in his rookie year. If you're not going to say Burrow because Burrow's had success in the playoffs against him. Yeah, that's where I think it changes things a little bit because he he had so much early success. I think that's a little different. That would be more like Big Ben. Yeah. Burrow would be the Big Ben in this scenario. Which makes sense. Yeah. I I don't know if there is one. I I think it might be Herbert. And and like I became became a little less. the new coach. Yeah, I became a little bit skeptical of Herbert after this past year, but I just looked up his numbers. He's been really good against Kansas City Dude, and his the Chargers career. play the Chiefs every year. That is their Super Bowl, and they make it really tough on him. Yeah, he, he averages 286 yards a game against the Chiefs in seven games against him. Now, he is 2-5, and five, but again, that's kind of the the team around him and he does he has six interceptions but to 16 touchdown passes so I, I think if there's a guy and look he's got to pr- this is the year he's got to prove it I think Lawrence is in that same conversation I, I think if there's the guy that's going to do it I think it's the guy that's in, in his own division and I think it's Justin Herbert man I'm between two two players because I think both have a lot of the qualities that Peyton Manning did in terms of regular season success, but playoff failures early on. So fun. I, I think I know where you're going with it, but it's I'll let Allen you. or Lamar. And see, I don't understand that because both have, have just shown the inability to do it. And their teams are taking the worst 
steps towards fixing it because now they're costing more money. True. This was the Peyton Manning discussion as well, though. How quickly we forget. Early on in Peyton's career, dude, he was a choke artist. He was a guy that could never get it done in the playoffs. He put all of the regulars. He had five MVPs. You can make a pretty strong case, like, just from watching him, you can make a case that Peyton was the best quarterback to ever play the position. Tom Brady is clearly more accomplished, and I will forever say Brady, Brady go, right? Like, We'll have the conversations about Pat, but Brady was the GOAT, no doubt about it, whenever he finished his career. But Peyton had a lot of regular season hardware, and that's the Lamar discussion. Lamar already has two, man, two regular season MVPs at this point in his career, borderline unprecedented. The dude is unbelievable. He just fails so spectacularly in the playoffs. Eventually, I do believe Lamar will get his. I just don't know that he's going to be able to get multiple, and that's what Peyton eventually was able to do, and that's why I go with Josh. If Josh can just settle down, just chill out a little bit. And I don't know that he's ever yeah, going to be able to. Nah, man, you I, can't I, do that. <laughs> like, let me let me take you down this path. Let's walk down a, a yellow brick road together for a moment. The Bills have an okay but not great season this year. They decide to fire Sean McDermott at the end of the year and hire some young, hotshot defensive mind named Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick becomes the head coach of the Buffalo Bills going into 2025. Are you telling me you wouldn't have a lot of confidence that, hey, maybe this time it's going to be different? Yeah, I, I would have had more confidence if they would have gotten Jim Harbaugh, too, yeah. in Buffalo. So yeah, I'm not. I think, I, I think he can do it. I, I do. Not. I think Josh Allen will eventually get his Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I think, maybe and, even and See, what's funny about this is I was just going to say it. I don't even know if the conversation should be who can dethrone Patrick Mahomes. I think the conversation should be who will dethrone Patrick Mahomes when Andy Reid's gone. Because I think fair. as great as Patrick Mahomes is, like we got to give credit to what Andy Reid drew up in that final play of overtime. Like That's all Andy Reid making that decision. I just, like Josh Allen for the most part has been great in these games against the chiefs he the 13 seconds game he won it it was over yeah. he was unbelievable he went scorched earth just against the chiefs terrible time management and he just he had the unfortunate bounce of having 13 seconds left on the clock against the best guy i've ever seen do it and that was too much time and then the chiefs got the ball first and boom it's over and you, you leave and you're like what just happened? Wow. But the Chiefs cheated because the overtime rule. And then this year, like, I thought Allen was really good for like three and a half quarters, and then he makes one mistake. See, that's one the mistake. thing is, I, I'm not going to dream on him never not making the mistake. And the same is for Lamar. At this point, I know they're going to do it, even if it is Belichick. Oh, and that's Lamar I, for me. Yeah, I, I don't trust them when it comes to it. Like, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Like, they have that ability to do it but i know they're going to make that one mistake that's going to cost them and that's why i just cannot look at them and say yeah they're going to change and they're going to be able to top mahomes and that's lamar for me i will never believe in lamar jackson because in the playoffs he gets way too the same way i feel about dak prescott in the playoffs is the way i feel about lamar jackson you get too skittish you don't know what to do you overthrow your receivers and the only game you have is running the ball and you always fumble it so let me give you real quick because i think we forget about this sometimes and t-bone you were like a, literally a toddler so it'd be it's pretty reasonable for you to not remember this me too man me too this is what peyton manning did early on in his career in his playoff games okay his first career playoff game they lost 19 to 16 against the tennessee titans he completed 45 percent of his passes no touchdowns no interceptions the next one against the miami dolphins goes on the road loses 23 to 17 completes 53 percent of his passes for 190 yards one touchdown no picks the next one, lose 41 to nothing 
mm. on the road against the New York Jets. Completes 45% of his passes, 135 yards through the air, no touchdowns, two picks. That's his first three playoff appearances. Has not yet won a game. And then finally, 04 happens. His team isn't very good this year. They win in Denver against Denver 41 to 10. They go into Kansas City, a team that finished the year 13 and 3. Neither team punts in the entirety of that game. He throws for 300 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, is borderline perfect as a quarterback in that one. By the way, in his first game, literally at a quarterback rating, that is perfect. 158.3 this season. And then goes on the road at New England and loses. One touchdown, four picks, 230 yards through the air. Boom, season over, choke artist because of that game. Despite in the previous two games, basically being perfect. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Then he continues from there. Next year, 20, 20 to three, loses again on the road in New England. 230 yards, one interception. We're at 2006, loses again. At home against Pittsburgh, 21 to 18, one touchdown, no picks. Finally, we are in 2007. He has gone to the playoffs, I think it's seven years, and every single time choked it away. And in 2007, they finally are able to do it. We think it can happen quickly for these guys, but it's because Brady and Mahomes have completely changed the way that we assess the position. Manning didn't do it until he was 30, man. He was 30 years old. Patrick Mahomes is 28 right now. He's done it three times already. So I, I'm still holding out belief that one of Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, and I, I would place my money on Allen, will be able to go ahead and get this done. There's a little history lesson for all you kids out there. That I feel educated from that. Thank you, actually. Peyton Manning. Yeah and how much he struggled early on. I hope people remember how excellent Peyton Manning was. That dude was unfreaking believable and it gets forgotten because of the playoff failures early on in his I career. I liked Eli better. I liked the third brother. Eli shouldn't even be a Hall of Famer and Cooper nobody remembers. What are you Coming talking up in 15 about? 15 minutes Coop's we're diving into the junk drawer. <laughs> Alex has some stories from his two weeks off. If you think he was just sitting at home chilling, oh. boy, do we have something <laughs> coming for you. We'll get into that at 12:45, but next, I respect that the Blues are finally eliminating the excuses from their game. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. aren't using the same old excuses this year that they did a year ago with Alex and T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, last year, you remember how annoyed I would get. Oh, the travel. It's so hard. We're in Seattle and then we have to go to San Jose and it's a back-to-back. We got in a 4A. Tough luck. Everybody in the NHL deals with difficult travel and it just kept coming up and coming up. They're like, oh, we're in L.A. We've got an off day here where we're sitting at the pool and it's 80 degrees outside. And we just Beautiful. we're so upset about the way that this schedule. Stop it. <laughs> Enough. Enough with the complaining about the schedule. I was so tired of hearing about it. Just go play the games and give your best effort. See where the chips fall. Well, last year they stunk, and that was the real reason why they ended up losing a bunch of games. It was a bad team. It didn't have to do with the schedule. It wasn't anything about the line combinations. The players on the team weren't good enough. And for whatever reason, 
the locker room had dismissed the messaging that was coming from its head coach. That that became clear this year. Well, they're not having those same excuses right now, Alex. We have seen this team now go on the road, and they go to Calgary, they go to Vancouver, they go to Seattle, the dreaded West Coast Canada trip. They went 3-0 and against those teams. Now you're going up to the East Coast, Buffalo, Montreal. I understand these aren't great teams, but in the past, it's been a real concern about going on the road, especially in a back-to-back situation. Where you were off for 11 days for an All-Star break. And they go up and they play some really inspired hockey. Not just win the games. They looked inspired. They looked like the better team on the ice in each of those first two games coming out of the break. Now you're up in Toronto against a team that has had their ups and downs, to put it mildly. That has a defenseman that's mired in controversy right now and this is an opportunity for you to be able to win three straight games once again on the road coming out of the break and then you come back home for a significant homestand here dude i i respect the hell out of what we've seen from them i hope they can finish this thing off right especially going up to toronto if you as a blues fan want to start getting some respect the place to do that is in toronto where all of the national hockey media resides they're all watching these games when you're in the NFL and you're a team and you go to play the Jets or the Giants, guess what? If your team wins there and they look great, you start to get a little more respect. It doesn't matter ultimately, but that's how you get it. And Major League Baseball, New York, L.A., those are the places where you want to get your respect, play well against those teams. In the NHL, it's against Toronto. If you do it well in this game and then again when they come here next week, you're going to start getting your respect and, from that media. And the team that they take on Thursday in Edmonton. Sure. I mean, you take on two of the top Canadian teams. Those are the teams that you got to prove yourself against. And look, I the, the, the this road trip and their past three-game road trip were deciders of their trade deadline, in my opinion. Now, they could lose a little bit and things could change, but you look at that three-game road trip out west, you win all of them. You look at this three-game road trip, if you pull out one point against Toronto, but two points and continue this hot streak, Doug Armstrong has been on these road trips with the team. He's seeing what we're seeing, which is going to dictate some of the decisions he's making. But I also think that the area that has been most impressive that they've improved improved is what you just mentioned, BK, their play on the road. I don't know if people understand how good they've been on the road. They're going for their sixth straight victory on the road tonight against Toronto. If you look at what they've done since Drew Bannister took over on December 13th, they are the fifth best team in the National Hockey League in terms of road play. They've played 10 games. They've got a 700-point percentage. That's better than Boston. That's better than Dallas. That's better than Winnipeg. That's better than Toronto. That's better than a lot of other playoff-caliber teams. Now you go to the goals that they've scored per game, top 10 goals that they've allowed per game, top 10 Hmm. power play, power play on the road, fourth best power play in the national hockey league on the road. So now don't look at their shots per game because they're the the second worst team in the national Uh, hockey league. I mentioned this to T-Bone the other day At, at this point. And, oh, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting closer. I want to see what they look like. Toronto, Edmonton, Nashville, yeah. uh, Toronto again, and then Winnipeg, Edmonton. Those six games gonna tell over you the next two weeks, uh, that'll tell you if this is real or not. But I'm starting to feel the way that I did going into that 2022 postseason. Remember, mm-hmm. we talked with a bunch of people. We we're like, okay, the numbers all say this is not a good hockey team, but I've watched them all year, and I disagree with the numbers. I'm just pushing them aside because I think the Blues have something here that the numbers, for whatever reason, aren't accounting for i'm not all the way there just yet you guys know i trust the numbers but to a degree there's a certain point in time where you have to say hey man i just trust my eyes here 
the Blues are getting there. Yeah. They're starting to make me veer closer to that well, side. And the shot percentage, what's so interesting with it is you do trust your eyes over the numbers because, yeah, it's a percentage you think that they can't last with, but look at how they're scoring the goals. They're standing on the doorstep tap-ins like those you don't miss and the blues that's the success of the power play but going back to the road success bk uh, you always talk about you know what's the more important factor for a team is it their home play versus their road play right now if i'm the blues it's great to be good at home you're 15 9 and 1 at home that's important but man if you can become a road warrior team like you were in 2019 that's more important right now because in 2019 you had more games in the regular season on the road than home which if i'm not mistaken you have a little bit more road games and home games the rest of the way this year but when you get into the playoffs if you get into the playoffs the first two games you're going to first two series if you go the distance you're going to be doing it no matter what but that first series you're playing on the road you're the underdog yep. and, the, and the team that you're taking on they'll is, likely be on the road the entirety right, of the playoffs no matter what but the team you're taking on is either the first or the second best team in the western conference and if you if you create this identity that we can't be stopped on the road which right now they're playing that way they're not giving up a lot and in tight games they're finding ways to come out on top Man, that's an area that if Drew Bannister has instilled that confidence in this team, that's a dangerous factor to have for a St. Louis Blues squad compared to just being a good home team. Like, I look at teams that are great at home and say, okay, but what else do you have to show for it? Like, Vancouver's a great example. They're 18-4-2 on home ice, which is awesome to say. They're 17, 8, and 4 on the road. Still very good. Well, look at Colorado. 20 and 5 at home, 12, 12, and 4 on the road. Look at Vegas. 19, 6 to 2 on home ice, 12, 10, and 4. Edmonton, 14 and 11 on the road. Go to the Eastern Conference with the Boston Bruins. Boston, 15, 5, and 6. That's actually better than what I thought. Huh. It's like, to me. Tampa, though, 11, 15, and 2 on yeah. the road this year. They've really struggled in those situations. I, I just think it's more important where you're at as a Blues team to figure out how to be an entity on the road than to be at home ice. Yeah, and they're eliminating the excuses. Yeah. It's, not, it's no longer about the travel accommodations. It's just, hey, go out there and play hockey, yep. man. School. Just go out there. If we play our game, we're going to have an opportunity to win this one. And you're getting such great goaltending right now. Right. That's the backbone of everything that we're witnessing. And it's why I'm starting to wonder, like, okay, can we just push these numbers aside a bit? Uh, Binner and um, Hofer, that every night they're giving you an opportunity to win. It's like having really good starting pitching. Yeah, if you don't have a great offense, it, it's tough to win that way. But, man, the Guardians have shown you over the years you can win that way. We've seen it with the Tampa Bay Rays at times in the past. They've got a good offense now, but in the past it's been like, hey, run suppression, run suppression, run suppression. That's going to be the way that we find a way to win here. Uh, the Blues might be finding a way to do that with excellent goaltending, even though their defense is just okay. Yeah. It, it's not great. It's better. But it's just okay right now. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues at the Maple Leafs tonight. Pre-game for that one. Starting right here on your home of the Blues. 101 ESPN with Alex at 5 o'clock. They'll have the puck drop with Curbs and Joey in Toronto tonight at 6. Coming up at the top of the hour. How much does spring training matter for Mason Wynn? It seems like there's some different, differentiating opinions on this. I'm on one side. Feels like the writers that cover the team are on another. We'll get into that coming up at 1 o'clock. The Junk Drawer is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Junk 
Joshua, it's been a couple of weeks for Alex, to say the least. The first week he spent at Disney World with his two daughters and lovely wife. And then last week, his wife's in New York on a, on a business trip. So Alex is spending the week at home with his kids. Alex, over the next couple of days, we're going to explore yeah. some of the adventures that you took place. You guys are going to get a trilogy of Alex's vacation. You can take this in any direction that you'd yeah. like, sir. You have the next five minutes. All right. Well, that's five <laughs> minutes. My goodness. Let's start with let's start with the Disney trip. Tomorrow, you can stay tuned for the sequel, and then the next day, we'll get the trilogy of it. But let's start with Disney. Uh, we got to Disney. No big deal. Now, a reminder, last year, we did Disney World with our two daughters. My oldest was, I think she was a little over a year. Our youngest was like six months. So very easy trip. The six month old didn't do much. They both had no issues. This trip a little different uh, because both of my children do not want to ride in strollers. They both want to be out and run. Of course. Uh, and I've got a daughter right now, my youngest, that she's entered her demon stage. And what I mean by that is if you try and tell her to do something, she turns red and she just screams. So we would go see Mickey Mouse and we had to wait in line for Mickey Mouse 45 minutes. Um, that child did not want to be held for 45 minutes. And I don't know if you've seen these lines before. They're roped off. Everybody's standing yep. in tight quarters. Yep. A little child doesn't want to do that. So I'd try to hold my daughter, and she would do this exorcist demon turn. <laughs> for a good 45 minutes. <laughs> it would just be every time and then when you try and put her in the stroller in it. go to Disney World they said it'll oh. be great I got home and I told Katie I said we're not going for a good five years I just picture Katie looking at you during the moment going I wonder what he's thinking <laughs> it was, and then when you try and put her in a stroller she's like mastered the art of putting four or both both feet and arms on the stroller and you can see this on YouTube I'm going to try and mimic this she does this like parachute where she's ah! Oh, the, the bridge. Oh, yeah. Oh, she goes yeah, stiff. Yeah. I can't get her in the stroller. Anyway, so that was that. Overall, it the was good. The bridge is quite the move, by the Dude, way. It's in is... any situation. It works for everything. If you're trying to hold them, boom, bridge the neck back. And, nope, not going to sleep. And I'm the parent that's like holding one leg, trying to bend it while the other look like I'm abusing my child. I'm just trying to get her in. Anyway, overall, it was fine. We saw the characters. They were very happy. But let's take you to the final day. Oh, gosh. The final day, we're going to Epcot. And Epcot, the, the main goal, because we fly out later that evening, we do Epcot in the morning. The main goal is Anna and Elsa. So we take the Skyliner. For those that don't know, it's kind of like this like fast way to get to the park. We're taking the Skyliner. My oldest, we think she gets motion sickness, but we're not sure. She just like sometimes when she's uncomfortable, she's everywhere. Good. So we're on the oh. Skyliner. We're riding on it, fine, having fun. We get to the park, we're running. Daddy's got to get her to Anna and Elsa. We get in line for Anna and Elsa, and you wait in line in this cottage like it's their home. And so we're waiting in line, probably 25 minutes. We're standing in line, we're navigating through. Everybody's doing fine. You know, my daughter's doing the demon thing. We get to the front of the line. We are exorcists at Alex's Disney World trip. (laughs) We get to, I'm telling you, man, people in that place were like, what is wrong with this little kid? We get to the front of the line at Anna and Elsa's cottage. So we're standing by the doors where they've opened them. We go in to see them. And out of nowhere, I hear everyone in the back going, oh, oh like God. what just happened? My oldest, who might be motion sick, not really sure. She pukes all over the Anna and Elsa cottage. Like no <laughs> joke. It was probably five to six projectile vomits on the floor so bad that everybody behind us did this like (laughs) like we had so much space in the damn place 
And I felt so bad for my daughter because you could tell she was embarrassed. Sure. She was crying. Yeah. She was sobbing. She puked all over her Elsa oh, dress. No. I, I felt awful. And we're waiting in line. And so Did you just stay there? So you stay still- there. I thought we were leaving. And then they're like, no, 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 no. You don't have to leave. Like, God bless the, the employees at Disney World because they were so good with her. They had one lady who was consoling my daughter. They had another lady who came in and helped us clean up the vomit. Sure. Meanwhile. Alex is on his hands and knees. Oh, yeah, I was. <sighs> but this is the best part. Some other kid behind us also got sick and puked because of because of my daughter so now there's kids puking everywhere (laughs) and so and so luckily that would be me when i see or smell puke it's over it's it's coming it's it's, i gotta get out of there so i would have left the line because of your daughter i would have been like i've waited an hour it's not worth it babe we're coming back later also i got my demon daughter going So luckily we take the Elsa dress off. We got to change of clothes. We put it on her. I didn't think it was a sickness. I just thought it was motion sickness. They were great. They let us go see Anna and Elsa. We get in, we get through no problem. Finish the rest of the day. We're skeptical. We're we're a little skeezy because we're worried she's going to do it again. But we get back, we get to the airport, we get on the airplane. We're coming home. We gave Adelaide that Benadryl on the airplane because we were trying to get home. Middle of the flight. It's probably nine o'clock at night. Wakes up out of a dead sleep and goes, Daddy, my tummy. Oh, no. Leans over and vomits all over me. Uh. All over me. Now, luckily, oh. I was smart enough to do like gonna, a little. I'm going to get sick now. Just thinking luckily, about that. shirt scoops. I did the basket oh. of the shirt. <laughs> I caught it all. And then the, oh, <laughs> the air, the air flight attendant, she came over. She goes, do you need a trash bag? I said, yes, as fast as possible. Guys, going to puke. Don't, dude, I might. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got, oh. we got home. And my uh. wife, oh, no, he's going to do it. My wife felt so bad. She goes, she goes. Go lay down, go shower. I'll take care of bedtime. So needless to say, um, part one of this trilogy that was Alex Ferrario's vacation required a, a little bit of I exorcism. I thinking about your, sh- <laughs> your And a lot. Of- Actually, you know, it's kind of funny how they so, coincide. So, so, the so exorcist funny. vomits all the time. It was just two different daughters. But uh, uh, that was the mag- most magical place on earth. We just everywhere. It All definitely over. sounded like the happiest so, place on earth. So if you go check out Anna and Elsa's college and you, or cottage and you see a stain on the ground, just remember that that was Adelaide Ferrario that took care of that. From the 314. Guys, every parent that I've ever spoken to about taking their kids to Disney before they were old enough, like five years or older, every single one of them to a man says it was miserable and they refused to travel with their children until they're <laughs> older because of it. I have a four-year-old. We found taking him to an all-inclusive is the best place to take the young kids because it's affordable. They can eat whatever and whenever and a lot of them have kids, water parks, and things to do for them that no need yeah. to be on a strict schedule. I, I will say, as much as great as Disney World is, they've got to do something about the character visits. Like, you can't expect children to wait in line for an hour and a half to see somebody. So the best way to do it, for any of you that are parents out there, this is just my only piece of advice. Character dining is the way to go, man. So yeah. That way you don't have to wait in the lines. It, it's see, expensive. The character, the character dining for us Adelaide only cared about certain characters and they didn't have those available. And that's like, and that's, that's the, the hard that's, part. Yeah, it's brutal. But if you can go to the character dining, yeah. you just knock out all of your visits. You're eating while you're seeing them. They'll come over to your table. You can take a picture, get the autograph, mm-hmm. whatever. That's the easiest way to do it. But there, I mean, if you your kids want to see like yeah. Anna and Elsa, there's 
there's and, only one way to do and it, and man. Got to go see him. I'll say this: this sounds like a miserable trip. They were better, like for an 18 month old and almost a three year old. They were better than I would have expected. Like they were very chill most of the time. Boy, it was just that last day oh. that was like I. I told Katie, I said I got to get the hell home, and I said I got to just bathe and bleach because I feel disgusting. I, I wouldn't recommend doing that. that that's well, probably not. Believe me, I thought about it. <laughs> He's Alex and Steve on. Stay BK. tuned for tomorrow. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of bet it or forget it. But next, how much does spring actually matter for Mason Wynn? I hope not at all. We'll discuss why coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. going to enter spring training as the Cardinals expected opening day starter at shortstop. And that shouldn't change if he goes 0 for 75 or 55 for 55 over the course of spring training. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. Alex, I don't think the spring training matters at all for Mason Wynn when it comes to what he does offensively. Now, if he's like booting the ball around and just looks totally uncomfortable defensively and looks like the pressure's getting to him, okay, now we can have a conversation. I don't expect that. I would be surprised by it. And so let's talk about the offensive side of things because that's really where the questions are right now for Mason Wynn. Alex, I've been surprised by how much I've seen written by Derek Gould, by John Denton, by Katie Wu, reliable sources that are plugged in with this team. They cover the team on a day-in, day-out basis. I've been surprised by how often I've seen this offseason them write something to the effect of, man, it's a big spring for Mason Wynn. Cardinals want to see him show the offensive approach that they were hoping for coming off of what was a disappointing end of the season offensively for him in the majors. And they then wrap it up by saying, if they don't see it, maybe Tommy Edmond has to be your starting shortstop and you go with Dylan Carlson in center field. I could not disagree with that more. Now, I'm not telling you that I'm right and what they are reporting is incorrect. I'm saying I would have a different approach from what appears to be what the Cardinals are approaching this spring training as. Just let him get out there and get comfortable. That's it. That's the entire approach to Mason Wynn this spring. Mason Wynn, you are our starting shortstop on opening day. Approach it with him the way that you did last offseason with Tommy Edmond, where you came into spring saying, we've got a very, very good shortstop. His name is Tommy Edmond. He's starting for us on opening day. Now, don't deviate from that approach the way that you did last year when Paul DeYoung eventually got healthy and he took over. But... The point is, Edmund was your starting shortstop no matter what he did in spring training, no matter what the results looked like or what he did in the World Baseball Classic. Alex, do do you feel that way? Do you Would you approach it the way the Cardinals do? Are you surprised by how much they're talking about the possibility of when starting the year in AAA? I am. I, I don't understand what you're trying to accomplish with Mason Wynn. Like, I, I, I know that he hit 172 last year and 122 at-bats. Like sending him back to the minors, what are you trying to accomplish? He had over 400 at bats in AAA and had a 288 batting average. He had over 400 at bats in AA and had a 258 batting average. You send him down to the minors, he's going to do the exact same thing. He's going to be elite defensively and he's going to be up and down offensively. What are you trying to accomplish sending that guy back to the minors? Are you hoping that he figures it out offensively more and becomes a 350 batting average? Who cares? Mason Wynn is a part of this team because he is an elite defender at shortstop, which also allows you to play a above average defender 
in center field. If you're telling me that I got to start the season with Dylan Carlson in center field and Tommy Edmond at shortstop, I'm a lot more concerned about my team's overall defense than if I've got Tommy Edmond in center field and Mason Wynn at shortstop. It also limits your flexibility later on in the game. Like yeah. There's yeah. just so much. Well, yeah, that, now you're keeping another shortstop on this team correct. over an Alec Burleson. Yeah, or, or over Mason Wynn. Like, if you're not well, having yeah, Mason true. Wynn as your starting shortstop on opening day, he shouldn't be here. Exactly. He, he should be down in AAA. So Mason Wynn is now removed from the roster, and in his place you have Buddy some Kennedy. utility infielder. <laughs> yeah, like I, Hey, buddy. Buddy Kennedy is now suddenly on the Perfect. roster, and that's not somebody that you want to be a part of this team. You're, you're getting significantly worse yeah. by doing that, both defensively and potentially with the offense as well. I I just think this is easy. It, you don't have to make it more complicated than it needs to be. We've seen year after year after year, these spring training results are not indicative of what's going to happen over the course of the regular season. I've been trying to tell T-Bone this for five years now, Listen, it seems man. like. And every year, T Bone gets right every year though. Th- there are some things that you can take from it, right? If you see, like I picture- knew Taylor Motter was going to play a big role on the Cardinals last year. Yeah, well, I, I would also have shouldn't have. But <laughs> yeah, he yeah, did. That's an Ollie right. problem. You can see things that are noteworthy, like hey, this pitcher has a new pitch. And it seems like he's using it in a way that might allow him to open up certain results, right? Like um, going into spring training, I'm going to be curious to see what it looks like for Palante with his new pitch mix. He's he's got a new dead ball that he's working on. He's got a slider that he's been working on. Hopefully both of those are improved. (laughs) And if he's able to get better results against, um, if he's able to now suddenly get out righties and lefties, that'd be good. That'd be really impressive for him. That, that's something, though, that is less about the results of it and more about, okay, let's see what these pitches look like. If they get crushed, eh, fine. But if you see the metrics and it looks like, okay, this might be sustainable over time, that's worth noting. The overall like batting average numbers for Mason Wynn in, the, in spring, I, I, I could not care any less. He's not here for his he offense. He's here for his defense. Now, Correct. To, to- I, I'm with you guys. I, I hope that that's the way they approach it. Because otherwise, like, I was hyperventilating last week while you were out about, you know, they don't have a backup center fielder. Carlson can do it in a spurt if needed, but you can't rely on him up until, like, the all-star break until Victor Scott could potentially be ready. They need to sign a backup center fielder if this is the case. But I think the devil's advocate to what the Cardinals would tell you, and I I don't necessarily totally disagree with it, is every write-up that we've seen, you know, it, prospect ranking systems have been coming out all leading up to spring training here. And everybody from Keith Law, who we talked to, to Kylie McDaniel, who we talked to, says, hey, his bat can be really good. Like, he could be a 280 hitter. What the Cardinals would tell you is if he gets off to a slow start, and I don't even know if it would be spring. I think it'd be more of like if his April was just horrendous at the plate. What they would tell you is... We need to send him down because we don't want him to lose confidence. And if he loses confidence, we don't think he can eventually develop into the guy that those write-ups are saying. But at some point, you got to give him runway. Like, I remember us talking to Mason Wynn last year, and he said, you know, he's a guy that that starts off slow, but if you give him more and more time, he figures it out. He said it happened at double-A and at triple-A. What is the point? of putting him through spring training, playing him at over 100 at-bats last season, and then saying, nah, you know what, go figure out your offense and we'll bring you up in a little bit. I, T-Bone, your point is valid for most players. There is nothing about Mason Wynn, his personality, his persona, that would lead me to believe that is a guy yeah. that loses confidence. I think he just That's goes true. out there and keeps, keeps swinging. Yeah. And he knows, hey, my value, and, and I think this is something the Cardinals should tell him. Hey, man, you're here for defense. Anything you give us offensively, that's a bonus for us. Treat him. He's not Yadier Molina. I understand that. But 
the treatment of him, the way that you approach him in your lineup every day is the way that you approached Yachty in his first couple of seasons in the big leagues where you said, and TLR used to say this all the time, hey, anything he gives us offensively is gravy because look at how impressive he is, how important he is for us behind the plate. Now, the value of a shortstop is obviously different than a game caller and a backstop the way that Yachty was, but the point remains And the other thing that I would add is, man, if this lineup is what they think it is and they believe that it's going to be really, really good this season, they absolutely do, then Mason Wynn's bat is the least important in that lineup and you should have a top seven that is able to make up for one guy that is significantly below league average offensively. If you've got one automatic out in that lineup and you've got seven other dudes that are well above league average and then Tommy Edmond, who is at league average and is playing gold glove defense in center field, your lineup is not going to be your problem this year. It's not. The rotation might. The bullpen could be. But your lineup should be good enough to make up for one black hole at the bottom of the order. And yes, that is even if the dude hits like 170 this year. I I can't tell you how little I care about his offense. Yeah. I do not care. That guy is here for his glove. That guy is here to be amazing with his arm. And that guy is here to create havoc on the bases whenever he does get on. I, I don't want to see this team mess with him as the starting shortstop. Your entire your entire team, the construction of your lineup, the day-to-day fitting certain guys into one spot, all of that hinges on Mason Wynn's ability to be your starting shortstop. And Mason Wynn's ability to be your starting shortstop should not be determined by if he hits in spring training. That's not where he's winning. And maybe you. this is too cruel, but I really don't care what Dylan Carlson offers me. Dylan Carlson is the fourth outfielder for this upcoming season. And sure, maybe you can change my mind. Maybe if you get an opportunity, but that opportunity is going to come if an injury happens. Like you should not be unseating any of the Lute Newtbar, Walker, or Tommy Edmond for the outfielders because Tommy Edmond, although I don't believe it, he earns the opportunity to be your everyday center field for how he performed last season. Maybe the bat's not there, but if I'm talking about two guys that bats might not be there, that means there's seven other guys that I'm putting a lot of stock in. Guess what, guys? The Cardinals have an offense that everybody believes is going to be great. Does it really matter if Tommy Etman and Mason Watwin hit less than 300 at times this if season? If it does, it means that the other guys didn't carry their weight. And, and that's if they more the problem. And if they don't, then they've got bigger issues. Yeah. Yeah. If Walker and Gorman And Dylan Carlson's not and, changing that. No, and Arenado and Goldie and Contreras and Donovan, if those guys aren't hitting in Newt Bar those guys aren't hitting. Yeah, it's going to put a lot of pressure to get somebody at the bottom of your order to start picking up the slack. But guess what, guys? If those guys aren't hitting, the season is is screwed. It's going to go off the rails no matter what Mason Wynn does. Even if he's hitting 250, that's not going to be enough to make up for a lack of offense from those other big bats in the middle of your order. You A prerequisite for this season is those big bats performing the way that they were expected to. If that doesn't happen, then you're screwed no matter what, whether Mason Wynn hits 280 or 170. He's Alex. That's T-Bone on BK. Coming up next, better to forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 
9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it here on 101 ESPN. Guys, bet it or forget it. By the end of the season, your starting shortstop is Mason Wynn. The starting center fielder is Victor Scott. By the end of the season? By the end of the season. Wow, you're just trading away Tommy Edmund, aren't you? Huh? What are you going to do with Tommy? Uh, utility. Do I need one when Trade I get Donovan? in the offseason? Yeah. What about Brendan Donovan? What's he for you? Uh, Chop liver? Playing all over the place. You got Matt Carpenter. Potentially my starting second baseman. You got baseman. Matt Carpenter. I, I, I think Donovan's going to be your starting second baseman. Well, sure. where the hell's Nolan Gorman? In Seattle and Logan Gilbert's pitching for the Cardinals? He's got to get his back worked yeah, on. DH. Yeah. Crap. Uh, I'm going to bet this one. I, I I do think Victor Scott will be up here because I, I think they're going to realize that they... As great as Tommy Edmond was, it was kind of in a pinch, and I don't think it's there long term. And I believe the Cardinals are going to value speed at the end of this season, and Victor Scott is going to be providing it. So I'm going to bet this one. I think that's your that's your duo up the middle by the end of the season. Oh man, I, see, I'm not. I, I'm going to forget this. I, I think if everything goes the way the Cardinals are planning, which means they're a playoff team, I think Scott will be up here late in the year, but he'll be here as like more of a pinch runner defensive substitution player. I don't think he'll be here for the starting center field job. I, I think their hope is that if they are competitive, he's not going to be taking on that role until 2025, where he'll then go into spring competing for it. The only way I see him being the starting center fielder by the end of the year is if you think this team's out of it again, and they'll do what they did with Mason Wynn. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I, I, I'm, I'm forgetting this as well. I love Victor Scott. As a player, as a prospect, everything about him, it is a player that was made in a lab for me. I think his role this year, come postseason time, I think he'll be on the roster, but I think it'll be as a backup outfielder who comes in as a defensive replacement late in a game, and then if you need somebody to steal a couple of bags for you, he can be your version of Terrence Gore, but more skilled from a baseball perspective. So I'm going to forget this. I don't think you'll be your starting center fielder, but I'm rooting for it. I think it'd be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Alex, what do you got for us? Uh, be- better to forget it, guys. By the end of this season, we are talking about Bennington and Hofer as in the Jennings Trophy conversation. We talked about this a bit yesterday. Yeah. Do you know top 20 in goals saved above expected? In my, uh, both, of uh, both of them are. Yeah. The, only, the, the reason I don't think they'll win it is because of Boston with Swayman and Allmark. But... I think by the end of the season, you're going to be talking about a top three one-two punch in the National Hockey League is those two guys. It's so interesting, man, because I'm not sure either of them is a top five goalie this season, but <laughs> both right. of them are top 20. And so it really depends on what, what do you what do you value more? Do you value having two guys that anytime they go out there can perform at a legitimate starter level, like not a replacement, a legit starter level? Or do you care more about having one guy that's probably going to start 60 games for you on the season? And when he's out there, he is an elite level goaltender. Because if you prefer that, that's not the blues. So I'm going to say forget it, but it's because they don't have the dude going into this season. Yeah, I would forget it too, because I'm kind of with you. I I think they're a top 20 tandem, and I I think they will be kind of overlooked this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Unless they do, I think they have to do something special as a tandem, kind of in the playoffs, and then they'll be more viewed as like I don't want to call them favorites, but they'll be in that top three category going into next year. Yeah, I think next year is going to be an interesting one because I also think Boston trades one of their goalies going into next season and might make the Blues as one of them into last year. Yeah, I mean, they arguably are one of the best one-two punches in the National Hockey League right now because I don't know if other teams have backups to the capability that Joel Hofer is. So if you want some, if you want a like fifty-fifty split, it's probably Boston. They're the team that's doing that the best right now. And if you want one that has one elite level goaltender and then another one that's pretty good,
good for them, it, it's Winnipeg. Yep. Those, those would be the two teams right now that I would probably look at as the favorites yeah. for something like this, depending on which version of that. Which is like. interesting because like if, if Winnipeg's in that conversation and I mean, they've got Halibut who is going to win the Vezina this year, but among the other teams, I'd put the blues in that conversation. Yeah. They've, they've gotten into the conversation in a way that I yeah. was too dismissive of, previously. which was a Ferrari 05, uh, bold prediction in the off season. Was it good yeah, for you, man? Me coming through guys, bet it or forget it. A Cardinal not named Sonny Gray, Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arnato will make the all-star game this year. I'll bet this. I think somebody will. You said Paul Goldschmidt, not, Nolan Arnato, not and, Paul Goldschmidt, Gray, Arnato, right? or Sonny Gray. I figured three? they're big three. Gorman One of those could. Walker could. Newt could. Newt could because of the fan vote. The fan vote as much as anything else. Um, I think those are the three you could see. One of your bullpen arms probably. So yeah, I think there's enough outs in this for the poker term to be able to get somebody else into the All Star game this year. I'm gonna bet it. I'm gonna forget it because I. Th- I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be viewed as one of those top teams by the all-star game. And I think the vote is going to be the one player from the team, which is going to be one of those top three. I, I would bet it, but I think it it would have to take, they have to be winning. And if they're winning, it's because of their offense. And that's why I would say like when he mentioned Gorman, Gorman would be the guy that I could circle see, or new bar. See the one that I would circle that would be most likely out of those not named the guys you mentioned is Wilson Contreras. Oh, that's a good because one. the catcher he options, yeah. if his offense yeah. is there, he'd be the guy that gets in. I, I feel like he's the most forgotten player heading into I do too, and I'm looking Contreras. forward to and seeing him. I blame him. myself for that as well. I just mentioned five different guys that have a chance to make the All-Star and game for the Cardinals. And he was their third best I hitter. <laughs> I didn't mention him. Yeah. And he could absolutely do it. Last year, and, he was amazing in the second and half. And how many catchers in the National League are you taking over Wilson Contreras? Well, defensively a lot. Shut it. <laughs> Shut it. Uh, offensively. Smith, I'm taking over yeah. him. Real, Real Muto, I'd still take. taking over him. Is that the list? Would you take Maybe Sean Murphy? Brother, but it's like, would yeah. you take Sean Murphy over him? The, see, Murphy's interesting because like he didn't he, hit at all he, down the he stretch. He failed down the stretch, man. Dude, he didn't start for them yeah. in yeah. the second was, half. And then in the playoffs, like they, they basically gave the job so, to the other guy. So we just yeah. said that he's a top three catcher in the National League. Yeah. I'd three say to top five. four. I would take his brother slightly ahead of him. But I, oh, you can Moreno, Gabriel Moreno, I would take over him. Yeah. I, I love Wilson Contreras though, man. Yeah, I, I think the reason I say it could be like, and I think, the reason, I, I think the reason we forget about them is unlike the names that we just said, like Newbar, Gorman, Donovan, there's like more to dream on for those guys. Like Gorman, man, he stays healthy. You can dream on 40 home runs. Newbar stays healthy. You could think of, you know, 20 plus home runs and a guy that's getting on base at like a 350 clip. You look at Donovan, you think, oh, what if he adds 20 home runs? For Contreras, you don't talk about him. Why? Because like, even though he had a slow start last year, he finished like right around his norm. In fact, a little bit better. That's why I feel like he's kind of forgotten as you're always dreaming about the guys that you don't talk about and don't know what really to expect. It's not at the same level, but Contreras is kind of like Goldie in that over the course of the season, there's a lot of variation. It's up and down and up and down. But by the time you get to the end of the year, you kind of know exactly what the numbers are going to look like. It's like 20 to 25 home runs. He's going to have an OPS. It's like right around 20% above league average. You're like, yeah. Really good year by Wilson Contreras, even though for like a month he didn't hit. And then a month he was scorching hot. A weird way to get there. We but wouldn't even be complaining about Wilson Contreras if not for Jack Flaherty. Whoa. The whole situation. But yeah. yeah. Jack Flaherty. Ooh, guy doesn't know what the calls are. Did you are. see uh, today? Jack. Uh, someone, I, I don't know who it was. Someone posted a video. Oh, Sonny Gray, Gray was like, it looked like he was like yelling at Contreras, but it was more of like they were fired up and just talking. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to like Contreras, yeah. I think. Jack oh, Flaherty's probably, is he's in Detroit, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's already complaining about the Detroit catcher. Doesn't know how to catch for him. He's good. Very confident. If there is one prediction I'm very confident in, 
Sonny Gray and Lance, Lance Lynn are going to love Wilson Contreras. Those two personalities with Wilson and how fiery he is. Oh, yeah. Until, Kyle, Kyle Gibson loves everybody, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, until Contreras calls and for Michael a... And threw to him all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And Steven Matz, well, you know, until he'll be Lynn healthy. Goes, I don't throw a slider. I just throw fastballs. What are you talking about, Contreras? <laughs> All right. That should be the easiest thing for Contreras. You should put a one down every time. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to a few of these from the text line, the YouTube chat, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL is the place where you can go as well for better to forget it. Guys, better to forget it. The Cardinals win 80 games this year, finished third in the central and just missed a wild card spot. 80 games for 80 the games. Cardinals. 80 and 82. Better than last oh, year. Oh God. I'm going to forget this one. Like I know I'm the most pessimistic about the Cardinals on this show, but I got a little more optimism than that. 80 wins. Oh, man, I'm going to be insufferable this season if this team wins 80. If they win 80 games, everybody's fired, right? That should be. That's enough. Mo gets a contract extension. Heim Bloom gets promoted. Um, Long-term contract for Miles Michaelis. So I'm going to forget it, but can I I be honest? And maybe it's because I'm around the team or we're we're so locked in on the team all the time, you know. I'm starting to become more pessimistic about this team because I I I mean, I don't think they're a 90 win team, but like, I don't think an 85. That's what I agree with. But guys, I have serious questions about the rotation. And if like these old guys, you know, show their age (laughs) and they're injured, they have no depth behind them. But I thought that going into last year, they've got the 2011 offense. 13. Yeah. I, sure, 2004. Like, better than 11. I'm forgetting this, but I could totally see myself going into opening day going, oh, God, th- this is not going to be good. No, there's there's a lot of scenarios in which this goes poorly. Very. Yeah. I, I just, like 80 wins. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be so surprised at 80 wins because they were ass last year, but I mean, come on, guys. 80 wins with, if they get 80 wins with this offense, everybody should be traded. All right, a couple quickies left. I'm forgetting this. You guys know, I think they're going to win like 88 to 90 games and finish okay, first wow. in the division. And I put down the cherry Kool Aid. We're going to get to this a little bit more later on. I, I think the biggest reason why people are pessimistic about the Cardinals is actually because of the first month of the season. And I think we're vastly overstating the significance of that month. They flop there. It's going to be because I agree with you. They flop there. They're going to suck. I agree. <laughs> All right, better to forget is Zach Thompson throws at least 120 innings in 24. Ooh. I'm betting it because I think there's a lot of injury risk in this rotation. Yeah, I'm betting it. I think you're going to see a lot more of him than what than you want. Between your bottom three, I think you're going to get maybe a combined 25 starts. I think he's starting out in AAA. Hold on. Hold on. I just, like, sounded my little, like, little tiny red alarm panic button because, I, like, I think relax. The, no, the reason why I'm relaxed is because I actually think Zach Thompson might be better than some of the guys that he would replace. Uh, oh, if that's a guy, we're going to suck. You know what? Didn't help me at all. All right, final thing. You're better to forget it. Caleb Williams is the number one overall pick to Chicago. And then they trade up as Houston did last year to take Marvin Harrison Jr. in the top three. I- I'm betting this one. I don't know if they get Marvin Harrison, but they might get that other wide receiver. Oh, God, what is Roman his name? Washington. Yeah. Washington. They're going to get another wide receiver with Caleb Williams and have a one-two punch. So I- I'm going like to bet that. that they trade up. I'll bet it because that sounds fun. So I'm just all in. There you go. I love fun. All right. Coming up next, Tori Krug, ladies and gentlemen, has he found a way to change his narrative from what it was going into this season? Alex seems to believe so. And he'll explain why coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm 
BK. So it needed to be a good year for Tory Krug here in St. Louis if he was going to change the narrative surrounding him. Most of the fans, I think, at by mid-June last year, most fans here in St. Louis has had enough. They were ready to see Tory Krug go elsewhere. He did not, however, want to leave. And so he nixed the trade that would have sent him to Philadelphia, which was his contractual right. And he was going to be a blue for the 2024 season at a minimum. Alex, I think he's changed things. I think the way that he has played this year, and maybe it's as much about the way that others have played around him as it is him, but I, I think he looks like the player that the Blues signed him to be. Is he great? No. Does he have liabilities defensively? Absolutely. But Tory Krug is somebody that has helped your power play get back on track this season, and when he's been on the ice without Justin Falk, he's actually been pretty good. Like, even the underlying numbers suggest, hey, Blues more than fine when Tory Krug is on the ice without Justin Falk. And for the most part, they've actually been okay when Justin Falk's been on the ice without Tory Krug. Mm-hmm. The problem appears to be they shouldn't play with each other. <laughs> I think they're too similar. They're both offensive-minded defensemen. Right. And so when they're stuck in their own zone, it turns out it's it's not a great thing for the Blues. So I, I think Tory Krug has changed his narrative because he's finally playing with a stay-at-home defenseman in Matt Kessel, who is the most average of average defensemen. But, man, that's good enough because of the style that he plays. That's just it. And, like, so December 30th was the first game that Tory Krug played without Justin Falk. That's when Matt Kessel stepped in. So it's a total of 16 games. Now, Justin Falk came back for, what was that, six games uh, before he got injured. And in those six games, Tory Krug was a minus seven. So in total, the 16 games with Matthew Kessel, he's a minus 12. But you take out those five games that he played with Justin Falk in nine uh, – 11 games, he's a minus five with nine points, and he's playing about 22 minutes a night. Like, that's really good compared to what... Now, mind you, I guess I shouldn't say really good because it's still a minus with nine points, but that is much better than what Tory Krug has been in the last two seasons with the Blues, but he's also producing the points. He's got four points at even strength and five points on the power play. Like, Tory Krug... He's not a number one defenseman. He's never expected to be a number one defenseman. But for $6.5 million, he's playing 22 minutes a night, and he's not as much of a liability as he was in the past. And here's the other thing that I'm starting to notice. I kind of scoffed at when Doug Armstrong made the comment of, you know, he brings a nastiness, he brings a tenacity to the game. During that press conference when Barubi was fired, I was like, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, he brings it more than anybody else does on this team, at least lately. It's him and Jake Neighbors that have the probably most pissed off attitude on the roster. And I got to be honest with you, if you're going to give me two players, Justin Falk or Tory Krug this season, I'm going to take Tory Krug. I think he's playing a more 200 foot game. I think with Matthew Kessel, he knows what his defined role is and he's having success with it. Matthew Kessel also is starting to open up a lot of people's eyes. He's been on the ice for like three goals against since he's played this season. I just, I don't view Tory Krug as much of a guy that you have to trade if this team wants to have success as I did at the beginning of the season. I don't think Justin Falk is a bad player. I want to say that on the front end here. I think there would be a team that would probably take on Justin Falk, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him go on to have success with that team. I think he's a pretty good defenseman, solid. I do think he needs a very specific situation to be successful, though, at this point in his career. And I think we saw that in 21-22. Going into that postseason, we all really liked what the Blues had. He was a plus 41 on the ice that year. Pretty damn good, right? We'd all take that. But other years that he's been in St. Louis, minus three, plus 11, minus four, minus five. He just, he hasn't really seemed to find a home here. And maybe that's because they've been trying to get him to work with Tory Krug. And it just, it hasn't clicked for whatever reason. But 
I think that he's the guy that needs more around him to be uh, make him comfortable yeah. than Tory Krug because Krug knows exactly who he is as a player and what he's not and it, it's not great defensively but he can make it work and he's been able to make it work the entirety of his career I, I don't really know what what Falk's role is on this team like when he comes back healthy I think he should be your third pairing defenseman and that sounds crazy because he's a better defenseman than Matt Kessel I absolutely believe that he's more talented he's a better player but for what this team needs, I think Matt Kessel makes more sense next to Tory Krug. And I think Justin Falk makes more sense next to Marco Scandella. So I'll be very curious to see how all of this comes together in a couple, two, three weeks, whenever he is healthy. The, 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 the hard part with this is you're going to have one guy playing on the third pair at six and a half million dollars because of the contract signings. Like that's just the position you put yourself in. What you can't do is you can't see the success of this team and try and force a square peg into a round hole. When Justin Falk comes back, you can't sit there and say, well, he's six and a half million dollars. We got to play him in the top four. No, you need to keep the pairings as is. You keep Letty and Pareko. As much as I've ished on Nick Letty, he's played well with Colton Pareko in this last stretch. I can't deny it. Tori Krug and Matt Ketzel are a very good and reliable defensive pairing. When Justin Falk comes back, you're playing with Marco Scandella. Agreed. And if you don't like it, well, them's the ropes because we're not breaking up Kessel and Krug because it makes Krug useful. Coming up next, we're going to give you an opportunity to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. We'll tell you the details on that coming up on the other side. And we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with the early season schedule for the Cardinals, which I think is getting way too much attention. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101 espn.com and the free 101 espn app is where you go to find it it is all presented by dobbs tire and auto center youtube.com slash 101 espn stl is another place that you can go how to has find... the graveyard been uh... i haven't checked it. it seems pretty peaceful is it peaceful yeah well sure. the name is the graveyard well, so but again uh... graveyards can be peaceful man i would say they're bigger fans of you than me <laughs> well that's fair <laughs> Lens for everything. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's get into the rewind. Alex, one of the things that people are talking about for the Cardinals, and it's it's been a significant topic of conversation all offseason. It, it rubs me the wrong way, is the first month of the season and how, quote, difficult, end quote, the schedule is. I'm going to give you the win totals from Vegas on the teams that the Cardinals play in the first month, okay? You, you tell me if this sounds like overwhelmingly tough. They start out with the Dodgers. That's difficult. I'm okay. I, I'm going to set that one aside, Sweet. though, for a second. Yeah. There's a lot of teams that are going to have – everybody has to play the Dodgers at some point. You just happen to play them to open up the season. Dodgers are going 162-0. They're going to be really good. Their over-under is at 103. I, I would take oh, the I would over. Take the Honestly, over. I, I really would. But after that, these are the win totals for the teams, again, that you're playing in the first month. The Padres are set at 81, 500. The Marlins, 78. 
the Phillies 89, the Diamondbacks 83, the A's 57, the Brewers 77, the Mets 82. So the only teams you play in the first month of the season that are projected to win more than 83 games are the Phillies and the Dodgers. That is not an overwhelmingly difficult schedule. What you're doing is you're playing teams that are in the same the same pool as mm-hmm. you. All of the 500 teams, Padres, Marlins, uh, Diamondbacks, Brewers, Mets, those are all teams that are similar spots to you heading into the season. The only team of, of that group that is actually projected to have more wins than the Cardinals is the Phillies. Guys, we got to stop with this. It's not an overwhelmingly difficult schedule. It's a schedule that's representative of what everybody's going to have to play in the first month of the season. Playing the Dodgers sucks. It's tough. First to, to open up that way, brutal. It's a three-game set. Anybody can win over the course of a few games. If you get one or two of those, you feel good about it. You walk away, you're good. But th- this is the not, th- this will not be the reason the Cardinals fail if they fail this year. It's uh, not the schedule. The only teams that are tough to me are Phillies and Dodgers. Like, I can understand the Diamondbacks if the rotation stacks up correctly where you're taking on their top three pitchers. But again, we're talking about an offense that we're all super high on. Like the reason it's so daunting for Cardinals fans is because you know what your pitching staff is and you look at the offenses that you're going up against. Like those are some good offenses that you're going to be facing, regardless if we believe they're playoff contending teams. But I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. But your offense is supposed to be elite. Yeah, I, I don't think the schedule's tough. I, I'm with you guys. Now, I, I will say this. They they get out to the slow start like you saw last year. There is no discussion. I would say the season is going to be a long one. Yeah, I, now we're talking 80 I, wins. Because I, sure. I, think, I think they should be about 500 through that stretch. I, I, I can see where they end up being a little bit below. I can see where they end up being a little bit ahead. But if they're like, what were they, nine games below 500 at the end of April last year? They're in that realm again. The see, You can go ahead and write it off. Absolutely. It's over. But that'll be because of the quality of the team, not the quality exactly. of the opponents. Yeah. Exactly. It'll be a reflection on you, not a reflection of the teams in which you have played. That's Tanner. He's Alex. I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan coming up on July 28th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Those tickets are on sale right now. 101ESPN.com is where you go to find more information. Or you can text in right now. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line earlier today alex told us his daughter threw up getting ready to go on a ride what was the ride what was the ride in which alex's daughter threw up if you got the correct answer to that in your texture number 101 you are getting that pair of tickets we'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m fast lanes coming up next here on 101 espn you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn